Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stacks. This is Jay. All aboard! Oh my god, wait a second, hold on. So the joke was going to be, I was going to say Shanna when he says crazy, but he doesn't say crazy until like a minute into the song, and you're never going to let me do the whole thing. It it, it takes quite some time to get there. And the other problem with that is it's not a Black Sabbath song. It's it's a solo song from much later, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's not. I mean, it's a classic. It's a good song. Shanna, and that's but, how it goes. I mean, there there is a Black Sabbath song called Black Sabbath that you could like, you know, Black Shanna. Although that uh, I, yeah, Black Shanna has that. political issues, I suppose, yeah, of its own. Yeah, so I, I don't know. That was the first thing I thought of, but I was like, mm, I better not call myself black. <laughs> black Shanna. Uh, we we didn't do that one. We like we considered doing Lily Dynamite, but uh, we went with oh, Black yeah. <laughs> Not for our main feature, anyways. Uh, this week we are talking about Mario Bava's Black Sabbath, not Black Sunday, as I uh, kind of conflated the two because we. Uh, I I don't usually. I, I usually mean to uh, cite the discs we're covering each week, and like I don't know, maybe sixty percent of the time I forget to. <laughs> but uh, for for this one, we are watching two different Kino discs. Uh, there's the AIP cut and the international cut, which are wildly different versions. Uh, the Italian one's better, I think, in absolutely almost every way. Yeah, I I think. The the main thing that makes a difference for the AIP cut is you get Boris Karloff's actual voice, which is a really big deal. Uh, and it's it's great for the word lock and it's pretty fun in the uh, wraparound sequences. Oh, yeah. The uh, the English one had it had uh, it had him in between the different sequences, not just at the start and end. Right, exactly. And, you know, he's in the word lock as one of the main characters and we get him to have his actual English language performance in that one uh, in only the English cut. So, oh, that's not him in the Italian. Uh, it's you know, it's someone else dubbing him in Italian because oh. <laughs> oh. he didn't speak Italian. Oh, so it's they a good dub, him, but I mean, yeah. it is a good dub. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's from Italy. You know, it's the that era where they just filmed them silent and then uh, right. post dubbed them. You know, it's just like uh, the the spaghetti westerns we've talked about. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, yeah, it, it, it sort of, it does sort of suffer in that sense. I do really miss the avail- the uh, actual Boris Karloff voice in those sequences. And there are times that I kind of really like the Les Baxter score uh, in the AIP cut. It's a very different flavor. It's much more of a uh, Friday night out at the movies, silly monster <laughs> ride movie, whereas there's a lot more atmosphere to the Roberto Nicolosi, really jazzy, vibesy score. For I, I, I do like the atmospheric score better. Yeah, a, I mean, a lot it's, better. it's definitely superior. Uh, I, I, I would say especially in terms of the tone for uh, A Drop of Water, which I remember you watched the AIP cut of it first and were laughing your head off. At, Dude, I, uh, it was so funny. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I, um, it, was, it was hilarious. Yeah, whereas the atmosphere in the the international cut, it's like that's probably the most intense sequence. 
Uh, I agree. I was like, why aren't they saving this one for last? (laughs) Because I saw the English one first, and then when I saw the Italian, I was like, why are we saving this one for last? Oh, it's actually scary. Oh, shit. I'm not even laughing. It it really shows how much difference the score makes uh, in in terms of the tone. And, you know, there are various little editing decisions. They uh, cut some of the atmosphere uh, and just, like, lingering on the color and the tone and the gel lighting they they uh in the english one they love to do like fast close-ups of the corpse's face yeah they really like to uh zoom in around the cut you know like uh just just sort of uh they they do their own pan and scan at times which is Mm -hmm. weird yeah it doesn't always work no it's not great i mean th- this is corman uh at that period in time or i don't know if it's actually corman maybe it's a uh, arkov uh but aip you know it, it was an exploitation house and they were editing it for a teen audience you know maybe a young teen audience that was you know they they were going for the beach party crowd uh out on a out for a horror night right right <laughs> So, yeah, it censors a lot of stuff, and it makes <laughs> the telephone just completely unrecognizable. Oh, God, I was like, the telephone, I didn't understand the telephone until I got to the Italian version. I was like, yeah. what the fuck is this? There's this so much, kinda, it's meaningless. It's just like a ghost calls her on the telephone, and she's scared, and then he shows up and kills someone. And <laughs> like, then... And then she kills the ghost, but then the ghost is on the phone again. Like, but what? Was phone? Excuse me? <laughs> this is supposed to be like the movie that launched fucking the Giallo cinema craze. <laughs> How exactly? And then you watch the Italian kind of like, oh, because it's a totally different fucking short than that. It's like a completely different thing. It's like half the length of the English version. There's so much that they had to cut out just for strict censorship purposes i guess because i presume at this point the uh, hayes code was essentially still in effect it's certainly right around this time that it starts to become shaky during the 60s yeah but lesbians though mm-hmm. lesbians exactly the big big problems are just like completely excised this one it it's fully and mm, they were roommates <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh no, they were they were friends, and they hate each other. You know, whatever. And yeah, they were knows? both they both dated Frank in this one. Sure, uh, seems very likely. Mm-hmm. And Frank is a ghost, I guess, for no reason. <laughs> He's a ghost who's also can be stabbed by it's like. Yeah, they, they they just they wanted all of them to be supernatural. They wanted it to be a horror movie the way teens thought of things as horror in that period you know slasher movies didn't exist yet that's true so yeah it's fucking weird (laughs) very strange sequence in the aip version yeah i was like oh my god she's got the black glove and she's holding the knife this means she is either definitely the killer or definitely not the killer and depending on which version you're watching it's a bit of both yeah (laughs) it's teasing it and that's sort of the whole point uh so uh, the Original Italian title, I tre volti della paura, uh, the three faces of fear, because it's an anthology picture. Okay, yeah. And we have Boris Karloff as the presenter in both versions, but uh, (laughs) 
he's there's a lot more of him in the AIP cut, and it is the only thing that I miss mm-hmm. in uh, the the uh, international version or the European version. Oh, he was the only thing that uh, I, I'm going to be honest. I wasn't interested in the uh, in the English cut. I was bored stupid for most of it <laughs> after the first one. Uh, it's a lot sillier. The only thing that kept me remotely interested. Right. And he's so good. Uh, like he's he's really given it, but they just don't really get the atmosphere of the piece. Uh, the the way they cut things, uh, the way they use the shock zooms, it just like totally robs the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Especially, but, and please. he even just says in the English one at least, but there could be somebody right behind you. And the way he says <laughs> it, he sells that line that I looked behind me. Yeah, uh, vampires and ghosts are everywhere. And he points at the screen, like points to you, and like, there might be one sitting beside you now. Oh, that's great. I loved that's it. Awesome. Then I saw, well, then I saw the funny one first. Yeah, it, it, he's just in this spinning blue void. But in the international cut, the first one is the telephone. And it really is an interesting way to set the scene because it's the only one that's contemporary. Yeah, it's modern. It is not supernatural uh, this time. And it's uh, this is sort of complex. It's very complex. And it's sort of one of the main influences of the Giallo because Giallo cinema hadn't really become a thing yet. And this is sort of one of the main raw influences because it, it is directly intended to talk about or or to visually reference the giallo style because like there the giallo is like pulp crime novels in italy oh, okay so like there I, I think they have like the yellow spine so giallo is is why they call it that and every shot in this piece is supposed to mimic the really heightened violent eroticism of the giallo cover art okay oh you know i do see that uh, a lot of the a lot of the shots where she's just standing with a towel are very uh very crime novel covery yeah everything's very charged and it you lose a lot of that in the u.s cut because they obviously remove a lot of it everything that kind of could be too tawdry it's like eh, we better be careful about that but uh just also in they they just sort of they they do that zooming in they you lose a lot of the compositions of it and just this beautiful gel lighting which uh there's more and more of in each sequence in the european version oh yeah i guess they they go in sequence that way yeah Uh, because this one is like the most i guess normally lit and then we get a lot of greens and blues in the next one, and then the last one is just crazy. Well, it has that blinky. So, yeah. Oh, the the green light, so amazing. So the telephone opens with just ringing, ringing and ringing, ringing. This is something that like legitimately bugs me in a movie, just when someone won't pick up a phone. But of course, like there's no one there to answer the phone yet. Yeah. Oh, for me, it's just like oh. Oh man, good thing it's not 2023. That ain't, that phone ain't getting picked up. Well, yeah, uh, but it, you know, in, in these sort of movies, it's always like, just please answer the phone. I hate the I, I hate that kind of telephone ring. That oh, clamoring yes. bell ring. Yeah, the 
Yeah. Well, I I actually hate the sound of all telephones ringing. Well, yeah, um, I don't like telephones in general. I'm not a fan. <laughs> Uh, as you know, I do not own one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do, but I don't know what the ringtone is. It stays on silent 24-7. Fair enough. Uh, I, I really love the apartment in the telephone. We spend a lot of time in this one set, so it gets to be extremely elaborate and ornate. Oh, man, this apartment is ridiculous. This is this is like what uh, what a 90s person thinks a writer at a coffee shop in New York would live in. But like, yeah, this every, everything's like golden and ornate. You have like these really heavily wrought bed posts and the bed stand. Uh, I guess Rosie in this version is an escort or call girl, essentially. Oh, um, I, is that what she's doing? It, it's originally brought up by... Uh, Mary later. It's is it Mary? I'm. I don't think it's Mary. We'll we'll get to her shortly. But the 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 lady, I think she brings it up specifically and is like, "Oh, were you out with X?" And like, "Oh no, knowing you, you're you're too high class for that. It must be the CEO of the company." Uh, Oh right. You know, top flight call girl. She's obviously very successful because this apartment is nuts. It's ridiculous. And also, she may have gotten some sort of payoff for selling out Frank, as we'll later learn, because she did sell out Frank. Yeah, but he was probably doing something to deserve it. Oh, Frank definitely seems like he sucks. No oh, doubt. Oh, yeah, I mean, he kills <laughs> he, people. Yeah, he he, he is uh, escaped from prison, and he is a murderer. Like, she is right to be suspicious of him. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the, the greatest piece of the set decoration is that amazing phone, this red phone with the black receiver. Which is very, it, it very much stands out against the ornate sort of uh, old, like it's no not mid-century modern or anything. You have a really ornate sort of like 1910s kind of furniture. It's the telephone that really uh, makes it clearly modern. Yeah, if it weren't for that, I wouldn't be able to tell what time period this took place in. And in fact, the uh, the old timey box telephone is how is how I was able to tell that the third piece didn't take place in the modern time. Right. Yeah. Uh, so the the first call, one of the big differences between the two versions is the voice on the Italian version is soft. It's seductive. It's androgynous. Yeah, and it's also so much more scary. It's like I'm going to kill you, versus. You know, the American or the English version is, is, of course, that deep telephone voice. I'm going to kill you. It's me, Frank, your ghost boyfriend who you killed. I'm back from the dead and I'm going to get you. There's nothing you can do to stop me. Ever and then there's no twist. The bus terminal. <laughs> yeah, he's he's just Frank the pimp. He really is. <laughs> But, yeah, uh, yeah, there's no twist. That's right. The yeah. twist is no, it actually was him, but oh, ghost. Yeah, it's but just like, yeah, it's so, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, in this one, it, it's sort of seductive. You can sense that there is uh, an element of play there where mm-hmm. sort of accusatory was like a body like yours can drive a man to madness. And I will kill you. It's not like a body like yours 
drives me to madness and or uh you know there there is a, a sort of specific uh intentional androgyny to the way a lot of it's spoken mm-hmm. <laughs> when i mentioned that in the group chat you said yes more androgynous and then i was like wait a second because <laughs> i didn't realize just how much was going to be changed oh yeah it's the identity different. of the caller is not the same yeah, completely different. So it, it kind of almost enters Doris Wishman territory, but like artfully done, like, you know, beautifully shot with gel lighting. Oh, yeah. She's in lingerie like half the time and it doesn't feel exploitative. She's like nervously smoking in a see-through negligee in this beautiful apartment, just, you know, waiting for a call. <laughs> and it's... Yeah, it doesn't feel exploitative. It feels like art, and it also has uh, a, a, an actual tension to it. Mm-hmm. And, of course, she's, like, just about to get into bed finally, and then the phone rings again. Uh, it seems to always know exactly when. Yeah. Um, at first I thought it was – well, at first I thought is like, is – is the call coming from the phone itself? Is the phone going to be possessed? And that's who's <laughs> stalking her, and that's how it knows? I'm surprised they didn't just do that for the American version, because they just kind of dubbed right. in a different story. Yeah, it's not far off. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe like a third correct? Yeah. It's it's like in uh, Don't Go in the Woods, uh, where I thought it was just a disembodied presence that was doing it because it was just the POV shot getting them all the time. And you never and, and sometimes you'd see a weapon, but it didn't seem like there was anything wielding it. But the camera <laughs> took a very long time for me to realize it was just supposed to be a hulking beast, man. Oh, well, that's <laughs> but less interesting. I, I love that movie. It's insane. <laughs> Very different kind of style from this one, which is, you know, genuinely great. This is like a beautiful art horror film, like maybe one of the best looking horror films of all time. It's up there, I'd say. The aesthetics of each sequence increasingly are so beautiful to look at. Yeah, which is uh, which is another reason I think it's better that they did it in this order for the Italian version, because they swapped the order in the the english one the telephone is second yeah they uh, build up to the verdelac in mm-hmm. the english version which i understand because it's the one with boris karloff the star of the picture and it looks like uh at a glance at least it looks like that's the one where they spent all the budget it's the longest one it's definitely the most ambitious like the the whole set for that one is very impressive mm-hmm the sets, actually. Well, one of them's a location, of course, but uh, we'll yeah. get to that. Uh, so, like, first, the caller, you know, she's getting into bed, it rings, and the caller's like, oh, I see you turned on all the lights, you think that's going to save you? And, you know, that stuff. And, you know, she hangs up again, and she gets her jewelry, and she hides it under the couch. <laughs> yeah, so this and then the caller is like hey what are you doing putting your jewelry under the couch <laughs> yeah this part doesn't make sense to me right uh, well it makes sense in one version but not the other well yeah absolutely i i really like that you know she she puts it under the couch and then she sits down on the edge of the couch and then she like 
sits way back and she stares hard at the phone for some time. And then like, she finally, like the horns start to come up on the soundtrack as she's getting like stressed out about it. And then she's like, finally, Oh, okay. Forget it. And she picks it up to go put it away. And it immediately rings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it startles her and she throws it down. Yeah. Like the caller has to have been watching her. Yeah, exactly. Because I think, uh, spoilers, uh, uh, the, the other lady, I think she's like her neighbor. She, That's what lives, I think. she obviously lives close enough that she can get there within two minutes. I got the, I had the feeling she was like the upstairs neighbor. Yeah. And or maybe like she, across the street. I kind of feel like she can probably see in there to some degree. And, you know, she's clearly spent a lot of time there. She knows the place pretty well and she knows her pretty well. True. And, you know, when, well, we'll get to it, but uh, she's like, I know you're listening. Uh, because the caller's like, I, I saw you. I, <laughs> I saw you put the fucking stuff under the couch. I, I don't know why you're bothering with that. I'm not interested in your money. I want your splendid body. I want your splendid body. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's seductive. Like, I'm not interested in your money. I want your splendid body, which kind of maybe also sort of feels like the the weird thing about this movie is it seems to like almost the, like until Frank shows up spoilers, uh, it, it does sort of feel like the stalker fantasy come true. Not super familiar with the stalker fantasy. Well, just, you know, the, the basic fantasy of any stalker is like, oh, no, oh, I'm going to call this person's house and pretend and frighten them. And then I'm going to go over there and we're going to get back together and it, it'll be perfect again. Oh, right, right. Because that's her that fantasy. I was that's like, her plan. <laughs> yeah, that that's her plan. No, I was thinking like the stalker fantasy of like I was thinking of it the other way. Like somebody has a fantasy about being stalked. I guess that's a thing. Well, yeah, no, that that's totally a thing, too. But, but uh, th- it's not a is, thing in this. No, it, it's, you know, the fantasy of the stalker. She yeah. is she it, it's totally working out. It's going really great for her until uh, the the real bad guy shows up. <laughs> but it, it sort of feels like she's sort of specifically speaking her truth there. They're like, I, listen, I maybe the, we, we don't really know what they broke up over, but it seems like I'm not I'm not trying to get your money or anything. It really is you I'm interested in. But then, you know, she immediately turns it into a threat and is like, I want to strangle your splendid body. Hey, whatever you're into, as long as everyone consents. <laughs> I mean, kinks are kinks, right? Yeah. One thing that's really weird in the the European cut that's totally unexplained there, but then has a different, has an actual explanation in the AIP version is there's that part where there's these creepy bulging eyes peering through the blinds for a moment. And they don't look like Frank or the girl. No, they're just some creep guy. Uh, in <laughs> in the AIP cut, they have that brief shot where it's just some other neighbor in the apartment house taking his dogs out for a walk. <laughs> just, I, yeah, I I have no idea why in the other cut. It's just it looks cool. <laughs> uh, but then the letter is delivered. Uh, so. Or, and and oh and this is also and, and one of the most hilarious different things between <laughs> the two cuts. 
<laughs> so is this the one where the letter writes itself in the English one? <laughs> yes, it is. In, in, <laughs> in the European cut, it is just a basic newspaper clipping saying Frank Rayner has escaped. So Frank is her ex slash her pimp. Uh, and he's gotten out of jail, and she put him there. And not, th- this sort of gradually comes out over the next little bit, but uh, yeah. that's sort of the basic background. So it's troubling to her because she's getting these threatening phone calls and like, shit, is Frank coming back to kill me for putting him in jail? Uh, spoilers, yes, but yes. it's not him who's calling. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are two plans on this woman happening, and they're not. They don't know about each other. Indeed. Uh, and of course, in the AIP version, uh, yes, it is his ghost because he's dead. They killed him <laughs> in that version. But then he came back as a zombie who was also subsequently killed, but he's also a ghost of the fun. <laughs> it's, <sighs> it's a whole thing. But yeah, in, in the AIP version, of course, instead of it being a newspaper clipping, it's just a blank piece of paper. And then she looks at it and it writes itself and it threatens her. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, but one of the, the the creepiest lines that the caller says, like, you know, after she gets the note, the phone rings again and the caller tells her, I'm closer than the police. So there's no point in calling them. So obviously she knows she's being watched. But who else is closer than the police? She knows to call Mary. Her neighbor slash ex <laughs> or ex-friend. Be- roommates uh yeah her ex <laughs> yeah her ex um, yeah in one it, version it, that yeah it it never like spells it out but the italian version comes very close to spelling it out it's much more evident like it's it's pretty clear in the note that mary's writing the next day oh but right i guess it does spell it out yeah uh, but notably when the, the I'm closer than the police call, she does address the voice as Frank. So Mary knows it's working, right? Yeah. And then Rosie calls Mary. She calls her for help. It's like, I know it's Frank. He's escaped and he has come to get me. I know he wants revenge for me putting him in jail. Uh, please, you have to come over right away. Oh my God! Yes, I will absolutely come over right now. I don't hold any grudges about all the bad blood between us in the past. Uh, let me just like run down there. I'm already dressed. <laughs> the the shot when she says like I need you to come over immediately, and we see Mary like she t- she gasps and there's like, she excitedly leans forward towards the camera. It's like you want me to come to you. <laughs> you I mean, mean my plan is working i mean right yes like th- this is what i mean by just every stalker's dream scenario just immediately it worked that she's the first person that she thought to call and like oh it's it's working out i'm gonna go over there i'm gonna be so great <laughs> I mean, it's like I'll, I'll be there like just give me five minutes and she hangs up the phone and it immediately rings and it's frank again <laughs> Why did you call Mary, Rosie? <laughs> yeah. uh, How do you know I called her? And we, we see it just slowly zoom out from the wall socket to reveal that it is Mary talking through a handkerchief and putting on a masculine voice, saying, <laughs> by dawn you will be dead. 
this scene, of course, or this scene, of course, is not at all in the English cut. Yeah, cut entirely from that version. Because <laughs> <laughs> it is Frank doing the calls, even though he's a ghost. Maybe he's just in the phone there. That's how he sees it all. That's what I thought. I mean, it's it's a good as reason as any, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he could also be in the lamp. He could be anywhere. He he could be, you know, it's it's like the haunted items from the Amityville house that all have their own sequels in those weird direct-to-video movies. Oh, right. It's that clock that drills itself into the mantle <laughs> of the fireplace was dope. I fucking love that movie. Uh, Amityville 92, it's about time. <laughs> <laughs> Don't remember anything else about the movie but the clock. Uh, it rules. It controls all time in the house and it has just uh, it, it makes people old and it makes like one room turn into a 14th century dungeon. So strange. Oh, man. How do I not remember <laughs> this? I don't know. So, uh, yeah, there, there's like the brief talk on the phone and then very, very quickly. Mary knocks very startlingly at the door inside, you know, because they're in an apartment building. She's like, how did you get in? Like, the door was just wide open. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Great, I mean, that's that's worrisome in and of itself, but they don't think about it. Yeah. So Mary should be thinking about it because Frank actually did escape from jail. And that's not part of her plan. It's what gave her the idea. (laughs) um so not not doing a lot of long-term thinking as a stalker i i kind of you know thematically consistent i suppose i guess yeah and she sort of ribs her but with there is totally a note of jealousy where she's like oh you, you know you must have been with this rich ceo like oh who are you back from a date from uh, you know, with some rich client and like, oh, I bet it had to have been the CEO of the company knowing you. I kind of we, we don't understand what broke them up. I kind of wonder if it's Mary being really jealous. Could be. And then again, be like, oh, shit, I should have <laughs> not broke up with her. Yeah, well, and it, I, I don't even know if it's that she broke up with her. It's that. Oh. <laughs> she got oh. up because she was so jealous and like it's my work lady because it, it totally tracks as well with her adopting this stalker thing to get back into the life i could see our pal uh boris lamont doing that if he went down a different path yeah or uh you know it's it's a charlie kelly behavior oh my god <laughs> just basic charlie kelly and the waitress i'm gonna like, kill your waitress charlie like, is that you no you know Imagine if he, you know, did did a couple threatening calls and then she called him for help. And, you know, this is just, it's the dream scenario. Dennis, it's working. Yeah. It's working, Dennis. I don't know what to do. So she's like, oh, wow, everything's exactly like it was when we were friends. <laughs> <laughs> when I came over all the time. Uh, important to note, she is wearing black leather gloves in this. Yeah, in just this really mean-looking suit. It's great. Oh, this is like a total hip, trendy uh, girl boss outfit. But like almost a Cruella de Vil outfit at the same time. Yeah, oh yeah. Very, uh, <laughs> More very of a primary color. Lady. 
yeah. yeah. And first she like, you know, they're having coffee and she sits down on the bed, which luxurious bed with just like fur. Oh, beautiful. My God. Like, oh, looks amazing. Looks I so comfy. Apartment. I want all their furniture ex- <laughs> except the phone because it's annoying. Yeah. Uh, you'd want to just have it as a prop. <laughs> oh, yeah. Keep, keep the phone at, like prop itself, but don't hook it up. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't want to hear that noise. Uh, that would be terrifying in that setting, honestly. Hmm. But her sitting on the edge of the bed and gesturing for Rosie to come sit right next to her and like, oh, they're like, oh, this is working out so great. Just, yeah, come, come sit on the bed with me. Uh, but of course, Rosie is not into it. Like she, she's a little too restless and she starts, oh, there's been all these calls from Frank. And he said this and this and this. Yeah. Oh, Frank, huh? Frank. And she's like sitting down on the couch with her back to Mary. And Mary has the black gloves on and she sneaks up behind her. (laughs) (laughs) Eerie. I don't think any of this is in or, or at least nothing that really suggests that she could be the killer is in the English cut. Um. A little bit of it is. She does have the knife in the English cut, and right. she does like surprise her with it before, before sticking it under the pillow. Right, which happens in in just a moment. And there is the point where she's putting the tranquilizer in the tea, which I think is in both versions. But in it both is. of them, she's caught doing it, and she's like, "Yeah, I'm putting a tranquilizer in your tea because you need to calm down." <laughs> well, in the English version, she says, "Oh, it's poison, courtesy." Oh, of Frank. yeah, that's right. Just that's right. kidding. <laughs> yeah, that's that is a stupider line. <laughs> but yeah, she's like, Frank, you know, I, I know he wants revenge. I I did put him in jail. It's sort of suggested that he was her pimp. That's yeah. It's yeah, kind of the, the I basic. Think about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really know what other relation he could have in that regard. Ex-boyfriend, maybe. But, you know, when did she put him in jail? Although, you know, you could be you can be a boyfriend and also be a pimp. Uh, yeah, I mean, kind of a bit of both. And he's just sort of a general scumbag. But yeah, there, there's that very threatening shot where she, you know, goes into the, the drawer and, you know, she pulls out that kitchen knife and she like flexes it in the light back and forth. Oh, yeah, <laughs> she has to turn it so that the light gleams all the way down the length of the blade. With her black glove on, just nothing else in the shot except the drawer and the black glove and the knife and the light playing off it. Giallo as fuck. And yeah, that's where I was like, yeah, she's It's inventing the, the genre, right. Yeah. Uh, but she comes out and she puts it under the pillow. It's like, hey, Frank might show up, you know, just, just let's put this here just to be safe. And there's that moment where she's like... Standing there looking at her, waiting for Rosie to undress, but she's like, waiting. Like, <laughs> and then fine, fine. She she finally walks out to go prepare the tea, and you see her, and like, okay. And she, she finally undresses with her back to the camera, of course. Yeah, of course. Because uh, uh, no actual nudity in this. It's still generally pretty chaste. Uh-huh. Although it has some gore in the international version that's not in the U.S. version. <laughs> yes, it does. 
So uh, she puts a tranquilizer in the tea. You know, as you mentioned, she does the stupid joke about it being poison courtesy of Frank in the U.S. version. But yeah, in uh, in this in the international version, Rosie's like, what is that? And like, it's a tranquilizer, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> You're freaking out. You need to go to bed. Please, you really need to get some sleep. And we see them go to bed together. And like the the light, the, the camera just sort of pans up to the window and we watch the light change from night to morning, which is suggestive. Mm-hmm. That, you know, they kind of maybe got, got it on. Because when it cuts back to inside... Also, there's that jazzy horn, like wah 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 Yeah. But it, it cuts in and you see Rosie sleeping and just kind of looking very pleased. You know, it, it seems <laughs> oh, yeah. like she had a really good night. Oh. And <laughs> It very slowly pans all the way across the room to Mary being absent and the phone's off the hook. Pan passed it off the hook. I, I think she took it off the hook before they went to bed. Yeah, so, you know, Frank couldn't call. Right. And she's writing and for this for some note. reason it worked on the ghost. It worked! <laughs> <laughs> uh, but she, she apologizes. She's writing this note where she's like, Look, I, I admit it. Look, I was the one who was calling. It was kind of uncool, but wasn't it great being together? Don't you miss this? Yeah, look, it wasn't my fault. I was just down real bad, man. And I sort of sympathize her with her because she did immediately admit it. <laughs> yeah, like instantly. Yeah, she's like, I, I really got to be straight with you. I, I can't. Uh, build a, a new relationship on a foundation of lies. Let's just be honest with this. But it, isn't it great? Come on, we can be together again. But then, please. Then we uh, just kind of conveniently forgot about the whole thing that Frank's out of prison and trying to kill her. Yeah, we, which was not really a creation in her mind. It was a thing. It's just he's not stupid enough to send a bunch of threatening phone calls before he does it. He's just going to, you know, because he's a wanted man, he's going to sneak in and kill her. So. <laughs> so Frank the, sneaks in. Yeah. The, the door very quietly opens in the background and it's Frank and he sneaks up and he finds some pantyhose on the floor. And, you know, again, very iconic giallo iconography, him, uh, coming up with the pantyhose and pulling it taut between his hands and oh yeah like wrapping it around his fist yeah and he strangles mary because she's the one who's sitting there by the you know by the entranceway and he doesn't realize in the dark that it's not rosie until he's killed her but rosie is woken up by the struggle uh he he sees that it's mary and he says damn you Always where you shouldn't be. So he did know about hmm. the relationship. They they suggested a couple times that he knew what was going on between them. I think that's sort of addressed in their conversation as well as uh, in the note. Only in I the international did, version. I didn't catch that, that, uh, that he knew that. Yeah, okay. I didn't but, catch that meaning of that. Yeah, but he. It, it's definitely referenced that he's pretty sure 
or that they're pretty sure he knows about what was going on between them. But, you know, again, it's only suggested rather than directly spoken. But, you know, he goes to Rosie, you know, who's across the room. And of course, she stabs him. There's that weird jump cut in the middle of the stab in both versions. I don't know. It just seems to like add extra impact, maybe. Mm. (laughs) But yeah, that's it. Uh, in <laughs> in the international version, you know, it pans back to show the silent phone. But of course, <laughs> in the U.S. version, the phone is just like, "I'll continue to get you." <laughs> it's like, how did you? I'll somehow kill you despite not having a body anymore. Even though my ghost just showed up and was able to be killed by a knife, and now I'm in the phone. None of it makes sense. It's complete nonsense in the U.S. version, but atmospheric and obviously super influential to the Giallo format. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, the U.S. version basically isn't even worth watching for this for this one short. Yeah, it, it completely butchers it. It's fun as a novelty. It's fun to watch just in contrast. It's like, wow, it, what a total hack job. <laughs> Yep. Uh, yeah, like the U.S. version ends on a freeze frame of the phone with the voiceover, whereas yeah. the Italian version just pans past the phone to the corpse of Mary and the corpse of Frank. Yeah, it's just showing all of the chaos wrought out of that night. It's just all of this crazy modern violence. Mm-hmm. And then we head back to the past for the wordlock. Uh, this one... I should have liked this one more than I did. I like this one a lot. Uh, I th- This one I sort of prefer. Uh, I mean, you. I really miss Boris Karloff's English language performance in the AIP version. Uh, I, I do really prefer that element. But it is missing some key moments of gore that uh, I, I do really miss as well. So it's, it's totally a mixed bag. Uh, obviously, we've seen a lot of this story before because Spook Warfare ripped this off hardcore. Oh, uh, so which one was Spook Warfare? That was the one with the Power Rangers villain, right? I think Where they so. fought the the giant or the um, Pazuzu, the uh, the other god, not the Japanese god. I believe god. so because there's the it, it, it all starts because there's his uh, the in the pond. You know, he he throws something and it hits the the one, uh, the the turtle guy and annoys him because like it, he's his he's been possessed by a force and he comes back to the house and he does yeah. all of the stuff that Boris Karloff does in this. You know, there's the stuff with the dog. Oh shit! Yeah. I <laughs> I barely remembered that. It's it's been a while since I seen uh, Spook Warfare. It has been a bit. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I guess they kind of come from the same source material. I think both of them take this from a Guy de Bonpassant story. Okay. Uh, all of these are supposedly based on actual classic literary works, but none of them actually are. They're mostly just written by Bava that very loosely have connections to existing horror works. They all feel like uh, classical horror stories. Like I feel like I've seen a million different versions of the telephone and the word Right, drop of water. Although that's because this movie created them in a in a very <laughs> significant way. Well, that makes sense. Uh, but th- this one we've got our Count Vladimir, 
played by Mark Damon. <laughs> Not no relation to Matt Damon, I believe. Uh, I was gonna do the whole the Team America World Police Matt Damon thing. That movie did not age well. <laughs> I've never actually seen it. It's uh, probably for the best. Yeah. But uh, Count Vladimir, he is our guy, Count Vladimir Durfey. Uh, he's riding up on his horse, and he finds this headless corpse with a knife in its back. This guy, for some reason, this guy always made me think of Ichabod Crane. He's kind of like, got an just... Ichabod Crane energy to him. Yeah, he's just here to have bad shit happen to him. But like an, an Eastern European version of it. Yeah, yeah. So he he takes this horse and puts the corpse on its back and, and finds he, he goes through this ruined castle, which uh, absolutely beautiful shot uh, sunset in this ruined castle with the purple orange sky behind it. Oh, this castle is so, so nice for being ruins. You may recognize it from another movie we covered quite a while ago. Demons. Oh, no it's, kidding. It's the set of the movie within the movie. Oh. You know, the movie that they're all watching in the movie theater? They right, shot it right. at this, because that's directed by Lamberto Bava, Mario Bava's son. Oh, okay. And he was cool. around on set for this, and it's just such a cool location. It's like, oh, I got to use that again. See, I was thinking it looked familiar for a different reason. It looks exactly like uh, one of the ruined castles in Elden Ring, oh, which came out like last year. It totally could be based on it, because, I mean, this movie is very influential, quite beloved. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe the most iconic Mario Bava film. It's certainly up there. Yeah, so so I, he, he comes to the house, just this absolutely incredible set. Uh, the house with just this blue, foggy void around it. It's very Evil Dead-esque. Oh, Totally. Which, I mean, probably Evil Dead was inspired by it to some extent. It feels like probably. something that Raimi would have really dug, because he loves all that sort of lighting effect stuff, too. Oh, yeah. He he, he uses it liberally as well. Mm-hmm. So our guy, he goes into the house, and uh, just the, the warm light, the orangey light of the house is very different to that very cold exterior. And... Uh, kind of cartoonishly, there's a spot on the wall for the knife. <laughs> Speaking of Raimi and the Evil Dead. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it, there's also, an, like, in, in addition to the worn spot on the wall where the knife's supposed to go, there's another identical knife that's part of a pair right next to it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, this is definitely where this knife came from that was in that guy's back. They're very <laughs> distinctive, ornate Turkish hunting knives. Real, real nice. Uh, way nicer than what you'd expect from someone who lives in this house. They they don't look that wealthy. Although it's it seems to be, you know, 15th century or something. So I guess it's hard to say. But uh, th those type of knives, they're called a Gorka. No kidding. Oh, shit. <laughs> which is our, our uh, which is Boris Karloff's character's name. Huh. I did not know yeah. that. That's yeah, that's neat. Huh. Kind of odd. So Giorgio shows up first. Uh, he's got a gun on him, and he's like, where did you get that knife from? Oh, you uh, know, I just found it in the back of this dude. Yeah, they found it stabbed in this guy's back. Uh, here, I'll show you this corpse outside. And you go outside, and the corpse isn't there. It's like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, fortunately, like... 
please. He's like, yeah, well, so this is my father's knife, and that's weird that you have it. Yeah, I, I'm a little troubled that the, this has uh, entered your hands. Uh, we're waiting for him to show up, and uh, he was chasing after this real bad guy. But Pietro has actually moved the corpse, the other son, so he could ritually uh, run a sword through its heart. Yeah, because, of course, he, this guy's a word of lack, or could be a Verdelac. I think they're pretty sure, like, he's a known Verdelac, Alabec. This oh, guy. and that's why the father is like, hey, I might become a Verdelac. Right. He went out to hunt this dude, and they're like, uh, hopefully he got him, and, you know, I, I guess he he was able to stab him in the back, but he still hasn't shown up, so we're a little worried about that. And, and they, they and bring he, him in. And yeah. like they they bring uh, uh, Vladimir in and you know have some soup with him and tell him the whole story. Yeah. So when he goes out, he says, "Okay, if I'm not back uh, in exactly five days, don't let me in at all. If I'm late, don't let me in." Right. And then there's the problem of them like, well, how do we know that it's been exactly five days? Because again, it's you know, 14th century or something. They only can tell time by the the church bell tolling. <laughs> yeah, the clocks weren't really a thing. And if if they not were, these guys clocks. didn't have them. Yeah, they're yeah. not rich enough to have, you know, expensive clocks. And they're they're worried because, you know, if he shows up, he's maybe a word And they're like, hey, Vlad, you shouldn't stay here. <laughs> it it could kill you by staying just this one night. This is a really bad night to be here, dude. No, no, no. See, this girl's really hot, though. Right, because all through the story, he's been flirting with Stenka. 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 It's not a great name. Like, he, and they really highlight it because she says Stenka, and he says, oh, that's a strange and beautiful name. I've ever, never heard that name. And he does proceed to say Stenka a whole lot. And just the more you hear it, just the more Stenka, Stenka, Stenka. It just Ain't doesn't, I a doesn't Stenka. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't love it. She's called something else in the English version. I don't remember what, but it's not Stenka. I, yeah, I can't remember either. Uh, but <laughs> it's uh, uh, strange. It's it's a strange name. I mean, n no hate on it. It's a, a very old school name. Uh, I, I can't remember. I think this is supposed to be maybe Romania or something. Uh, I, I believe... Uh, Lepterica was also a word lack movie, was it not? Oh, it might have been. I think that was also a word lack folktale kind of thing. So, you know, it, it sort of has echoed through the stuff we've covered. You know, there is the spook warfare, which uh, borrows from the same stuff there. I'm pretty sure Lepterica was as well. But yeah, she she's like, try, he's trying to romance Stenka, but he's just like, look, Midnight's the deadline. We're kind of worried about that right now. And then the bell starts tolling. Oh, shit. He's not back now. And, uh, well, hold on. Did he leave exactly at midnight on the dot? Or was it like maybe five after? Well, and the exact moment the bell stops tolling is when Gorka sets foot on the bridge and starts walking across. Like he's just sort of materialized at that point at just that moment but it's like do we kill our dad because he was maybe 
just on the nose? Like, are, are, are we totally sure? Can we find some way to explain it away? And when he shows up, he's like, how come you do not receive me? <laughs> I, I love the very slow reveal of him in the... Uh, I, I don't know if it's totally done the same way in both cuts, but we have that really long shot of from behind of him just sort of limping towards them, just like oh, his yeah. big hairy parka. And they're just standing there staring at him, and he's just walking, not saying anything. And the, none of them greet him, and he walks all the way up to the very front door of the house and he like turns and looks directly into the camera and it's like a shock zoom and the, the camera like the lighting is on his face and like why do you not embrace me <laughs> i am your father i'm wounded <laughs> yeah and they're like hey about that chest wound let me deal with that they're like don't touch me you're going to hurt me <laughs> i've been away for five days it's changed me Five days in the mountains have changed me, so even my dog doesn't recognize me. The dog is freaking out, or yeah. we can hear the dog freaking out. We never see the dog, do we? No, we just hear sound effects of dog barking and howling uh, with despair from the moment he shows up. Yeah. And they're like, so about that wound there, is that a heart wound? Maybe we should take a look at that, because... You know, heart wounds that you can see from the outside are really bad news. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but I'm just saying. Maybe it's <laughs> the, uh, maybe we should find one. And, you know, they, they they bring that up and he smiles like, I'm hungry now and wants to go inside. I'm like, <laughs> oh, OK. And everybody goes inside and they're making soup. She's She's got some lamb for him. He's and, not into the lamb soup. No, he's like, oh, what is that? Get it away from me. And the dog's still barking and barking, and he orders Giorgio to kill it. It's like, make that dog stop. He's like, dude, that's your favorite dog. Are you serious? And like, Do this... you doubt me? <laughs> uh, and at this point, uh, I think in the English version, it's a lot more obvious that he's gone evil. Whereas yeah. this, there's always kind of that air of, well, maybe he was just always this kind of a dick. They do sort of suggest that because in the earlier parts when they're talking about how they wanted to go with him and give him some backup, but they're like, but our father is not a man to be disputed. Yeah. Uh, and they do really heavily suggest that he's just this sort of guy who does things his way and sometimes he's just really hard to fucking deal with. Yeah, there's also like, when they mention that the thief is killed, it's like, oh, now all we have to fear is our father. Right. And do they have to fear their father because he's a wordelac or because he's a sexual predator? Uh, and there is some stuff about that in this that is not really in the AIP version uh, <laughs> that we'll, we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit. So, yeah. well, it kind of right here, essentially, because he demands to hold his grandson, Ivan. And the the mom immediately, like, she's been holding him away from uh, uh, from Gorka. Just like, uh, and he reaches for her and is like, oh, can't I fondle my grandson? Oh, yeah, he says fondle. <laughs> and fondle had sort of a different connotation back then. It's supposed to be just, you know, can't I 
you know, hold and play with uh, my my child. And, you know, he's, he's my grandchild and it's not supposed to be a big deal, but it's definitely gained some nasty connotations since then, which are sort of in the subtext anyways. And everyone is like, hey, uh, maybe you know, it's getting real late. This kid should maybe be put to bed and you should just not do this anymore, dad. <laughs> yeah, the kid is not jazzed about this. It's creeped out. Yep. Uh, weird kid. He he really just has a almost entirely silent performance in this movie. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I don't think he talks, does he? Well, his ghost sort of does later, oh, arguably. Yeah. So, you know, they put the child to bed and Gorka, th- this is where he he's talking about how, well, I don't know if they're going to be able to identify that body just by, you know, uh, that, that headless corpse. I think they might need this, and he pulls out the severed head from his bag. Hang it in front of the door so that everyone can see it when they come to our house. Kind of rad. <laughs> kind of rad. Well, this guy, you know, th- that's like a status symbol. This guy's a real baddie. And oh, yeah, this guy's terrorizing the whole area. Yeah, he's like a serial killer in this area, basically. Yeah. So, you know, that stuff is cut from the AIP version. We we see just like the the corner of him uh pulling the the head out. We we just see like the hair and everybody react uh rather than actually have the fun severed head prop and then of course we don't see it hung up. Yeah. <laughs> uh too bad it is a fun prop. It's pretty fun. Like it doesn't look super real. It's a wax head, but you know it's a yeah, good wax but... head. It looks better than the uh, the head in the next story. Well, no, I yeah. love the head in the next story. Actually. <laughs> I I absolutely love it. It's the scariest, fucking weirdest thing. <laughs> but uh, th- this sort of explains it to them. They're like, oh well, you know, uh, he. Th- this is what the dog was freaking about, out about that there was this severed head that he was carrying around. That's all it was. He's fine. Everything's fine. Yeah, this is <laughs> definitely okay. He's not an evil monster. He just kills it's just, the dog anyway. It's just dead. He's just that kind of guy. And Giorgio's the only one who is still holding his like, ha ah, man, I don't know about this. This does not seem right. But for whatever reason, they convince him to go to bed and Pietro is going to keep watch. Yeah, but he falls asleep on the job. Yes. And first, interestingly, Gorka sneaks into Vladimir's room and just sort of lurks behind him. It's interesting. He never directly attacks Vladimir ever, I don't think. He's not family. Right. Uh, they do mention that it... The word of only goes after those it loves. Yeah, that's right. I, I think that part is left out of the English version. I believe I so, yeah. Yeah, it's just, you know, he's a vampire. Uh, yeah. But, you know, Vladimir senses him and he turns and he vanishes, but really creepy and effective sort of extra scare is that you know he's not there but then he turns and he is just peeking in the window (laughs) he's like i'm not gonna be caught lurking in your room but i will be caught staring at you through the window with my fucking terrifying blue face (laughs) oh yeah his face is blue (laughs) yeah he's looking dead he is definitely looking like a walking corpse and like we didn't really get into it but the the wound in his heart like he has just this huge gaping chest wound (laughs) yeah that he's just you know uh 
just blood all over his shirt. Doesn't change it. Doesn't really try to cover it up. Yeah. So one of the things that's really different in the AIP cut is when he's walking around the house and we have just all these shots of him peering in windows in that version. Whereas here he just kind of goes through and then comes in the front door and sneaks up on Pietro, who's already asleep anyways. Mm -hmm. And then he snatches Yvonne and runs off with a rides off. Yep, off into the woods towards uh, the ruins. Right, and Vlad sees it. Vlad is the only one who sees him leaving, and he like starts screaming for Giorgio, uh, and he can't get out of the room because uh, he's been locked in by Gorka. Oh, is that what he was doing? Okay. Well, because he's locked in. He tries the yep. door, and he can't get out, so obviously that's what Gorka had to have been doing. I, for some reason, I never made, I never made the connection. I just thought he, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Giorgio, of course, he finds Pietro dead. Uh, there's that just totally incredible shot of Gorka with Ivan on the horse riding, just like <laughs> the, the spotlight on his face, like the moon, that, that terrifying look on his face and the galloping. Oh yeah. I, I love that the, uh, that the Italian version goes back to this shot at the very end. The very end of the movie, they come back to that exact shot and sort of reveal the artifice of it, which is so cool. Very fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, like they shot that for the AIP cut because they wanted them, because uh, AIP wanted a softer ending somewhere, but uh, AIP hated it, so they didn't use it. <laughs> oh, really? That was that was good. They they didn't like they, this was sort of a time where you didn't do that sort of meta stuff, I guess, oh. yet. Uh, so, like, uh, creepy, right? Like, just the, he has molested, he, he's stealing the child to molest. Yeah, he's stealing the child into the woods to, God knows what, to fondle. Well, yeah, to molest to death, uh, basically. And, because, yeah. uh, you know, they, they, Giorgio, uh, he he comes to the river, and finally there's the shot uh, where he returns with the dead body of Ivan. Right, and they have to oh, yeah, and they have to bury him and all that. Right. So like first, Vlad, he's while he's out or while Giorgio is out hunting for Gorka and Ivan, he's talking to Stenka. He's like, please, you gotta just leave with me. You've gotta get out of this. Uh, terrifying family situation where you're ruled over by this uh, strange sexual predator. And she's like, no, no, you got to understand it's my family and we're doomed now. <laughs> well, that's a negative way of looking at it. Yeah, that that's sort of her approach to it. And that, that's kind of why she keeps uh, saying like, no, I mean, we're, we're all doomed. And it's like, I, you got to just leave with me. Uh, I like, don't you understand? I love you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love you. I've known you for 10 minutes and I love you. I love something about you. Yeah. Uh, Your but, name. So th- there's the thing with uh, y- Yvonne and like, they, they do stake Pietro's body. You know, they put the sword through the heart, but Maria, the mother won't allow him to stake the child. Yeah, like, don't do this to my baby. Come on, holy shit. Uh, we're gonna have to, you know. 
Yeah, it's like this is something we literally have to do. And like, look, I just did it to my brother. I don't like doing this, but, uh, you know, this is just going to come back on us if we don't do it. And just like, if you do it, I'll kill myself. And he just can't make himself do it. I, I, I like that they don't play any of that. Uh, th- that both of them are allowed to really uh, be honest in the moment. There, there's there's no no viewpoint is demonized there. Mm-hmm. It's just a tough decision for everyone. Yeah, and ultimately they do decide not to stake the boy. Which is what dooms them, of course. Yeah, of course, of course. But Vlad does convince Stenka to leave. They ride off together in the night. But we... we uh, Back at the house, Ivan returns from the grave, calling for his mama to be let in. I'm cold. I'm cold, mama. We have to let him in. He's cold. <laughs> oh, my God. You buried this boy yourself. George is like, don't you understand? We just buried him a little while ago. Uh, th- this is not debate about whether to stab him. <laughs> yeah, that's why he's back. He's like, but you don't understand. He's my son and he's cold. And he is secondary. She stabs him and kills him and goes to Ivan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, she opens the door and it's not Ivan. It's Gorka. Oh, Gorka, you joker. Oh, Gorka, yeah. So Vlad and Stenka, they stay in the ruins of the castle in an old crypt, which just seems like the creepiest possible place for them to stay. <laughs> but it's dark, there, I guess. We'll, you know. we'll make a bed on top of this coffin. Great. Oh, Vlad, I'm awesome. having second thoughts. <laughs> so he like uh, Vlad tells her like you need to let go of the past that you're running away from. You you just need to put it behind you and we'll go on with our lives because she still feels like she's trapped in this cycle. And it's like, "No, no, please. You just need to get past it. You don't need to think about that. We're putting your family and all of that history behind you now." So Gorka is stalking through the ruins. He finds Stenka. Uh, she she like wakes up, and it, it's sort of weird because it seems like she's he's inside there with her, but uh, I guess he's peering at her from a distance. And she wakes up and goes outside. And there's like that yeah. shot where he's in like the the close in in blue on like a platform way up. Yeah, that's weird because I got the feeling that he was in the in the room with them too. But they all seem to be able to sort of teleport around because the whole family sort of materializes in the ruins around her. Well, I mean, they're ghosts. I'm sure they can teleport. Yeah, they they can do stuff. Well, I mean, we saw Gorka do it. Yeah, and just all of them show up. They're all vampires now. All of them have, like, the wounds in the neck. Kind of reminds me of that one Simpsons uh, thing where they're all vampires flying out the window. Right, although that one's heavily Lost Boys, too. Which is oh, yeah, right. Which we've also covered. Mm-hmm. And this so, has the star of our second movie. Right. So she screams, and Vlad wakes up and goes to see where she is, but she's not there anymore. So he goes back to the house, the uh, the the creepy household, and it's... Yeah darker there like the the color tone is much different uh everything's very eerily empty and it's much dimmer but you see this very recently blown out candle like there's still smoke rising from it Mm -hmm. so he goes up the stairs to stenka's room 
And just like her dress is there on the chair. It's like, hmm. And no, he parts the curtains and there she is just sitting in the bed. And it's like, I, I left for you. They were going to kill you. You understand? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, what? oh, it's fine. I, I'd rather die than lose you. And like, are you sure? Because <laughs> <laughs> you see, we've got this great deal here. It's like, you okay. Can die and not lose me. Yeah, and they they kiss, and she bites him on the neck, and the, that incredible shot of uh, Maria, Ivan, and Gorka ghosts all in each <laughs> like each in a different window, staring in each with like the gel lighting on their faces. Yeah, they're all like highlighted in greens and blues. Da-da-da. And now he he's part of the family, the troubled family. Oh, yeah, because only she could get him because she's the only one who loved him. Right. Uh, so yeah. that is. Yeah, they're all vampires now. Yeah, so that's the second sequence. I like this one a lot, but uh, I would say it is probably my least favorite of the three as well. I just, you know, they're all fucking great. I I didn't like this one as much. I just, I don't know. what. Maybe it's because I saw the English version first. I just it never stuck with me. Like I, I, maybe it moved too. I don't know what it was about it. Cause I, on paper, I should have loved this. It's a good supernatural mode for me. It's just the look of it is so cool. And just the sets are so interesting. And I, I am interested in the, the, the central metaphors of it are, are kind of fascinating that it is sort of this uh, sexual predation thing that they're kind of dealing with in a weird sort of way. Because it, it's the scene, this whole oppressive family figure thing at the head of the family, uh, it, it's heavily leaned upon and seems to be thematic. And again, just sort of missing in the AIP version. Yeah. Yeah. It, the, the AIP version does less to suggest that the does more to suggest that the father's behavior is odd and right. less to suggest that he's always kind of a dink. <clears throat> right. So third part is A Drop of Water, which I think is the first part in the AIP cut, right? Uh, yes, it is. It starts with The Drop of Water. And God, the fucking gels, the gel lighting in this is so fucking good. Uh, just that, Especially that flashing green light in her window with the cross. Just, oh, yeah. Uh, Miss Chester, our drunken night nurse. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like her. I sort of feel bad for her. Her karmic retribution feels excessive. It does, but at the same time, let's say, let's oh, say I, I don't, let's say I don't believe in God, and I am an actual grave robber. I would <laughs> still look at this one ring and this one corpse and all the situations uh, surrounding it and just be like, maybe not this one. Yeah, she. Th- this was a real bad choice. You don't steal from the creepy corpse of a witch. Uh, mm-hmm. Just all of the circumstances uh, should have warned her away. Yep, but it didn't, and she gets got. <laughs> Part of it is that she is drunk. Uh, she's shown up to work drunk. Uh, we see her <laughs> drinking, and she's like just tipsy and having kind of a tear. She's listening to her phonograph, and... You know, someone calls and they're like badgering her to come. They need her immediately. It's like, are you serious? You know what time of the night it is? What about my work-life balance and my right to disconnect? <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's the 60s or no, I guess it's the 1910s. No, this is like the 
tens, twenties, <laughs> yeah. maybe. I think it's the tens. Nineteen uh, tens, London. Oh, okay. Uh, and they're like, hey, they they need her right away. And it's like, fine, fine, fine. I'll I'll be there as soon as I can. I, I tell you, I'll be there as soon as I can. Oh my god, give me time to get there. <laughs> yeah. Really cool shot where she starts to undress and the camera like shyly pans away over to the flashing green uh, a light and the phonograph is starting to wind down in this like at the same time that it pans over so it's like yeah they were i didn't realize until this they were wind up back in the day electricity wasn't like everywhere yet yeah, this is just a uh, one of those old Victrolas that had the the reel on it. So it's winding down, and you have just that flashing green light. You know, the green cross, of course, a symbol of medicine. Oh, I oh, I guess so. I was always thinking classic. of the red cross, but yeah, the the I green guess first cross. First aid kits always have the green. Yeah, pretty classic symbol of that. So it you know in her window is fun because she is a nurse. Mm-hmm. But yeah, is that that whole shot where it you know winds over, you hear the phonograph winding down, and she re-enters frame dressed in her work clothes and flicks off the foreground orange light, which leaves just you know the cross flashing as she leaves, you know, for her medicinal work. Well, not really. She's not doing that. She's preparing a dead body. Yeah, is that an emergency? Well, getting a dead body out of a room kind of is an emergency, I suppose. You don't yeah. want to leave that till the next day, especially with the uh, advanced state of decomposition this body is already in and may have been while well alive. Yeah, it's sort of, well, uh, creepy mansion that she has, the, this old medium. Uh, she She's this creepy old psychic, uh, just this house that's full of cobwebs and dolls and many, many cats. Lots of cats. So many kitties. Meow, meow, meow the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> it's less obnoxious, I think, in the uh, Italian version. Yes. Uh, but just this rich, cavernous palace. Huge ceilings that just, like, have gel lights way up in them of, like, lavender and gold and stuff. Mm-hmm. The, the gel lighting through this sequence is just totally fucking incredible. I feel like they alter the lighting or make it brighter in the English version. Yeah, I agree. They they definitely do in this part. And, and in fact, they actually, they kind of, the English version of this is cut really weird. Whenever the fly appears, it's always. <laughs> they do the shock zooms, a lot of like burn in <laughs> shock zooms really hard, which sort of oversells things. And it's so overscored. This is the the one where the, the Les Baxter score, it never stops. Whereas the Nicolosi score allows the silence for the dripping of the tap which you need because yeah. in the one with the, the key it's a I drop of water <laughs> i didn't hear the tap in the other one shock zoom into teeth shock zoom into teeth <laughs> yeah it, it loses something but it gains something else because those it's funnier zooms of corpse face are hilarious oh my well, god it it is fun, and that's for me the thing that that the two different versions serve a purpose. Where obviously the international cut is the better version, is just a movie. But if I'm hanging out with people at a Halloween party, the English version is a lot funnier to put oh, on. Oh, 
Oh, for sure. Yeah. Especially when you can tell them what the telephone is really about. <laughs> yeah, it's a totally different story. No ghosts here. Guess what? Yeah. I I just love the lighting in this place. Uh, just It's sickly. The greens, the yellows, the purple, all like deep up in the ceiling and just reflecting down on all of these fucking cobwebs and the yowling cats running back and forth in the <laughs> foreground all the time. Yeah. So the housekeeper, she's like, look, there's no friends. There's no family. The only people are the people who came to watch her knock the table. You know, to, they're her customers as a medium. And those yeah. are all weirdos. And there was not a lot of them. <laughs> she goes out so rarely that I literally don't know where her shoes are. Yeah, exactly. So the first time we see the face just uh, that frozen face the eyes the teeth because it's like a wax head oh yeah <laughs> but it's so like it's very creepy but in the aip cut it is funny they, they play it to shock every time that makes it become comedy gold <laughs> they'll just randomly cut to it for no reason while she's in the middle of doing something completely unrelated <laughs> and every time i just i can't stop laughing and, and it's it made the uh the italian version funnier because of it because i was already in laughing mode right and see i think the the italian version is genuinely quite creepy but oh it is i know it from that version first and then saw the aip version later i think my i think i watched these in the wrong order <laughs> yeah They're, they both have their uh pros and cons like, like obviously the international version is the superior version but yeah but no they're they're both unique and they're both worth watching in their own way because there Maybe is not humor. back to back yeah there's certainly humor in both cuts like in this one one of the things that i really love is the first time they show the face you have the shock of seeing that creepy fucking wax face the the teeth just the this eerie grin and these <laughs> staring fucking huge baleful eyes and the nurse's reaction shot she does two double takes which are so <laughs> funny because the first one is her her seeing the creepy face but the second one is her seeing the ring and it's like oh <laughs> it's like ooh, i want that ring though definitely but they're both... gonna steal from this fucking crazy woman <laughs> yeah. i see this scary face like oh then see that ring like oh <laughs> they're almost played exactly the same way <laughs> but the the lady kind of or the, the housekeeper sort of slowly gets out that the medium is kind of maybe stuck between the living and dead she died of a heart attack and she's like yeah i know she died of a heart attack that's how i've been keeping her alive by giving her camphor shots for some time i like we've been waiting for her to die of a heart attack <laughs> she's like no no you don't understand she died while she was doing a seance oh so she's supposed to be like trapped inside both yeah, yeah stuck. she's She's sort of in the body, but also exterior to the body. Like what f the uh, English version implied Frank was kind of supposed to be. Oh, yeah. She's like haunting the phone. She's haunting the flies. She's haunting the ring. Whatever she wants to haunt. Mm -hmm. Oh, the tap. Uh, the tap. Anything sure. with water. Yeah. 
So like they they go to check out the dress with the, that they're gonna bury her in, and there's that weird bit with the hanging light just keeps drooping down. <laughs> I think that this light is just the same light from the Evil Dead. The, oh sure, the lamp. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, the, the laughing one. Yeah, yeah, it just wants to burn this dress just to fuck with them. But they come into the room and it's like, oh, I can't right now. Yeah, yeah like it's gotten all the way down. It's like, oh, what the? Yeah, get this up here. And like as they're leaving the room, it starts to like sneak back down again. <laughs> Just a nice little bit. And of course, the housekeeper won't come any closer than the doorway of the room because she's like very creeped out by the bodies. Like, I know that there's some otherworldly shit going on in there and there's a reason nobody else will come. And she's basically saying, like, I'm sorry, you have to do it all by yourself. I can't help you. I can't call anyone else to help you. Uh, I imagine she called like 10 different people before calling this lady. Oh, very likely, because she does sort of seem like maybe she was the bottom of the barrel choice. That's why she's (laughs) the drunk nurse. Uh, So, Miss Chester, she sends her to go get some stockings and we follow the nurse first. And I really like her trying to find the stockings in this drawer. And she's like digging like dolls. Keep (laughs) she's like keeps pulling out old dolls and like tossing them over her shoulder. Like, God damn it. Where's some stockings instead of dolls? Gotta have the creepy dolls, though. Well, yeah, of course. Uh, so it, it cuts back when Miss Chester has already dressed the body uh, helpfully. To it, it's that, that's how it's followed uh, the housekeeper. Just sort of this perfect editing of uh, all of this feeling real timey. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I also need some shoes. And like, oh, shoes. I mean, she has not been out of this house in some time. <laughs> Does she even own shoes? I gotta go check. She goes looking for them, and so this gives Chester time to steal that ring. She works it off the finger, but immediately drops it. The uh, I don't remember if it did this in the English version, but the clanging of the ring hitting the ground is loud in the Italian. Mm-hmm. There's like, a lot of interesting... Anything. Totally. There, there's a lot of really interesting amplified sound effects in the Italian version that are mostly drowned out by the score in the U S version. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but she, she drops it and she's like reaching around under the bed for it. And then the hand comes down and brushes the back of her hair. It's like, Oh Jesus. <laughs> I laughed because I thought it was just the old woman giving her a slap. Like <laughs> <laughs> It kind of is technically. It, well, it kind of is. Yeah. She's like, smacks the top of her head and she's like whoa and she bumps the nightstand and a glass of water gets spilled which is sort of what establishes the other portion of the haunting because it's dripping water on this brass plate right under the under the thing yeah, which the, again very loud brass on, like water on brass sound effect yeah the uh bedpan i'm guessing mm, i guess yeah but she does manage to retrieve the ring it's sitting next to a doll obviously dolls everywhere I mean, statistically, that is the most li- it would be next to a doll. Makes sense. And she like puts the medium medium's hands back crossed on her chest where uh, w- without the, the ring. And then a fly lands right where the ring was. She's like, oh, get off of there. Get off of there. Uh, the, that bit of her closing the eyes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nice they little sleight of hand. Open. Well, not right away. She closes the eyes and 
we have just sort of the creepy closed eye version of it with the slightly less creepy grin. <laughs> Not oh, quite yeah. as much of a rictus. <laughs> it's definitely creepier with the eyes open and funnier. Oh, yeah. Both ways it works better. And we hear the, the drop of water on the brass plate, and that's where she, like, puts the glass back on. And Miss Chester starts putting the shoes on, and then... She looks back up and then, yeah, the eyes are open again. He's like, oh, Jesus. And the flies back on the figure like, ah, she screams. But it's a scare zoom in the English version where it just like goes right up to her face. Yeah. just <laughs> it's, it's much more subtly done in the international version. Yeah, she screams. She backs off. And she's her like, I, I'm all done. We're done. I'm leaving here. Uh, you can deal with it. I've done the dressing. <laughs> oh, her teeth are so gross <laughs> they are very gross it's such a great creepy mask uh just this really excellent wax wax mask mm-hmm. so we come back to the apartment with that flashing green cross uh and you know uh mrs chester she has a drink she admires the ring on her finger <laughs> <laughs> But a fly lands right next to it on her finger, and then all the taps in the house start dripping. Simultaneously. And, and yeah, well, it seems to just out. be one. There, there's oh, a tap, and then she seeks it out, she's like, screws it on tight, and then she hears another one. And then she screws that on tight, and then she finds another one. And then the first one starts dripping. Well, no, because it, it's always a different thing. So then first... One of the things is her bathtub is full. Why is her bathtub yeah, just what's sitting up with full? That? Gross. She doesn't seem bothered by it. What is she doing with her bathtub? I mean, it does not seem healthy and there's like stuff in it. Maybe she's washing clothes in there because I guess that would have been maybe well, more might... of a common thing in that era. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, it, it looks really gross. <laughs> and like, ew, why is that open? And then, you know, she's still hearing the drips and she goes and she realizes it's her umbrella on, on the umbrella stand dripping on the floor. She's like, oh, it dries off the umbrella and sets it on a different thing. And then the drips continue and it's the window in the bathroom and there's because it's raining outside. And she closes that and, you know, it keeps being all of these different things. And then suddenly the lights go out. Dun, dun, dun like oh jesus and there's just again the flashing green filling the whole apartment and oh, she trips yeah. and falls so she, she finds a candle she seems to trip and fall on nothing a lot in this part she's drunk oh, remember right right right, right. <laughs> and probably very, didn't stop drinking when she got back home it's very subtly suggested by the seven or eight times we see her take a shot. Because she has a couple shots when she's at the medium's place, oh, too. Oh, right. Oh, fuck. With the housekeeper. Oh, my gosh. Right, right, right. <laughs> she's, okay, yeah, she's, she's drinking. <laughs> she showed up drunk. <laughs> so, yeah, she, you know, she trips on the carpet. She's fallen on her face. She, you know, she lights up a candle and she's looking around and she hears something. And this is the moment which it's terrifying in the Italian cut, but very comedic in the U.S. cut. When she goes to the bedroom and there, the fucking medium is just there on her bed looking at her. <laughs> yep. And but yeah, she... it's it's comical in, in the U.S. cut because of how much the score is overplaying it. But just the suddenness of it in the European cut is like, ah. And then just her starting to rise is terrifying because 
she has been totally inanimate the whole time. Yeah, she point. hasn't moved at all. And now she's like flying. Well, she starts teleporting for real. Oh, yeah. She teleports into the rocking chair with some cats. She's got a cat on her lap and just rocking back and forth. And then vanishes again, of course. Of course. And she sneaks up. That's one of the really creepy ones where you just see her hand appear and touch her hair for a second, yeah. like touch at the back of her neck and then vanish. That I don't one. Want that. Oh. Please. I don't want that hand touching me at all. No, and it's just such a perfect creepy thing of, like, you're stuck alone in a dark apartment and freaking out about something, and you just feel something on the back of your neck, and that just the shot of it being fingers is so creepy and, oh, resonant. Mm. Uh, And then, yeah, there's the shot of her just floating across the apartment at her, raising her hands, but Miss Chester is, we see, strangling herself. To death. To death. We we Quite. cut to the next morning and she's fucking dead. Yeah, they're, they're, there's cops investigating. And there's this woman who's like, oh, yeah, I know what to do. I call the cops immediately. I don't touch. I didn't touch anything. Yeah, the landlady, she's explaining the whole thing that she how she found stuff. And like, no, no, other people were here, too. You understand. You know, just let's let's establish that uh, I, I wasn't the only one who was I, I was not just alone with the body. I couldn't have stolen anything. <laughs> <laughs> and they they like, you know, prior hands off her throat and they say, hey, it looks like someone forced a ring off this hand. And it gets into the landlady's face. She's like, uh, uh, I wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> her eyes are like darting back and forth and like up and down. Like, I don't know about the ring. I don't know what you're talking about. And and we see, of course, that Miss Chester has the medium face, kind of. She's got the grin, her, she's got the staring eyes, and she's looking at the landlady. Yep. And <laughs> in the Italian cut, anyway, that's where we freeze. We freeze frame on her face. To a sound of dripping, the, the tap starting to drip again. Right. And of course, then in the Italian cut, it you know this is not the final version in the U.S. cut. The the U.S. version ends with Wordalac, and it just ends with, uh, I think the horse running away. Oh, is that that it? I believe the horse just runs away from the yard that uh, the where our our guy is. Maybe he rides away alone instead of going for her. I can't remember. I don't <laughs> it, think, yeah. It, it, it sort of just fizzles out at the end uh, for really that, that one. But the the really fun thing with this one is we have Boris on uh, on the back of the horse, you know, where he was riding away with Yvonne. But it's just him, you know, with that scary face in the spotlight. And then he stops and we pull out a little bit and show that he's just riding on a stuffed top of a horse and he's like shrieking dream about me (laughs) (laughs) we got like these guys uh, running in front of the camera with these bushes guys running around in circles with the tree branches are so funny (laughs) it's like just like ducking under the camera that's that's how they were cycling him going past trees it it just reveals all the effects and like oh that's kind of cute it's and, like the and, real world version of the Hanna Barbera thing. Yeah, this is pretty fun, and it is fun. That is the end, fine, uh, the the final entry in it. Uh, I I fucking love this whole thing. I would say that probably the third part is my favorite. 
but the first part is great in the international cut only. <laughs> mm, yeah, the, the the telephone basically isn't worth watching in English. Uh, the drop of water uh, was great in Italian and hilarious in English. It's great in both versions. It's it's a real ride in either version. Like one, it's scary, and one, it's funny, and both of them are really a good time. And I don't know what it is, but neither version of the Vrodelec, uh really resonated with me at all. I don't know why. Hmm, that's fair. I, I think they're all pretty great. I, I really love the whole anthology and obviously just hugely influential. Just the, the colors are so amazing. Uh, like the That's the really big legacy of the telephone. It's the first color giallo ever. Oh, oh. So the, it, it very, very significant in that regard and just hugely influential. So many people took visual inspiration from just every single image in that piece. Yeah, it's definitely everywhere. Oh, it, uh, it totally rules. I, I think my opinion of this movie is about the same as my opinion of the band Black Sabbath. The band Black Sabbath. I recognize their influence and I recognize their technical skill. I even absolutely love some parts of it, but overall it's not it's a little for me not really for me i fucking love black sabbath but it really depends like i i am really strictly a fan of the aussie years uh the do years never really did a lot for me uh but the the aussie years they have a lot of great stuff it's kind of a deep catalog i mean when i was a teenager those were some of the first cds i had were the first four black sabbath albums just deep into those so i listened to them a lot. <laughs> uh, when I was a teenager, my first albums were The Matrix Soundtrack, um, The Offspring's Americana, and a Ren and Stimpy CD. Interesting. I can tell you my very first CD was Throwing Copper by Live. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, okay. You know, I mean, it, it was it was the style at the time. Uh, <laughs> it sure was. Any last thoughts on 1963's Black Sabbath before we carry on to part two? Maybe there's a last thought behind you. Oh, my goodness. And we are back for part two, where we're talking about the 1996 Matthew Bright film Freeway. I thought this was going to be like a like a stalker horror type thing. There's a bit of that. There's a bit of that. Um, <laughs> I thought it was going to be like a like a just adjacent from true crime serial killer thing. And there's a bit of that, too. There's definitely a fair amount of Ed Kemper in uh, mm-hmm. our Kiefer Sutherland I-5 killer. Uh, but this is a comedy. It is a black comedy through and through. Uh, like it's. It's a crime movie, and it is a very crazy crime movie. But yeah, it's a, just a nutty, nutty fucking black comedy based on Little Red Riding Hood. Kind of like, uh, what's that one? <sighs> Running Scared with Paul Walker. Remember that one? Oh, God, yeah. Um, Which is all vaguely. just... Uh, yeah, it's it's another one that it's supposed to be a bunch of urban fairy tales uh, just all strung together with 
<laughs> him in the urban night and all, all of the horrors that a child faces there. There's like wow. his abusive father, and then uh, he's you know who who works with the Russian mafia. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I gotta watch that again. That that's a fucking crazy. crazy movie. Totally, I nuts. remember so little of it. Uh, th- this one though, this one is crazy too. I was not ready for how hard the way you described it in the uh, in the group chat was. I mentioned that it's like, wow, they're really not subtle about the Little Red Riding Hood, and you're like, no, this <laughs> this movie goes hard in that direction and hard in every other conceivable way. Yeah, it is a movie that just like it, it is going to be in your face. Uh, it it's a, a real extreme '90s movie in that sense. It feels like it takes place in the Jerry Springer cinematic universe. Yeah, or or as I said, the New York Post cinematic universe. It feels like every scene is constructed out of a shock headline. Uh, oh my maximized God. <laughs> 90s style clickbait of the uh, screaming tabloid headline. Oh, man, she would be on so many tabloid headlines like she'd be the Casey Anthony of the time. Well, and just every detail of it, every element of the case. So we have uh, we have our two stars, uh, Reese Witherspoon, Reese Witherspoon and Cooper Sutherland. Reese Witherspoon, who I think I've. I, I've credited the role to three different actresses each time we've <laughs> talked about this the past uh, couple times. Uh, you know, when, both when I introduced the film, I think I may have said Drew Barrymore, which is way off because she was uh, she she was this age in, you know, uh, the 80s. And of course, uh, I think I said Renee Zellweger last time. But yes, uh, Reese Witherspoon, who's so fucking good in this. By the oh, way. my God, she is amazing credit due she is very good in this it's maybe the best she's ever been i could see that um because even though she's one of like the four major actresses i had a crush on as a teenager she's not that good usually damn i'm not really familiar with most of her big roles because i I think she, she was in those bridget jones movies which i have not seen you know, I haven't really seen much of her stuff either. I just <laughs> and, don't remember thinking she's – I remember not thinking she was a very good actress. Well, there's like the Legally Blonde movies. I haven't seen them. Uh, <laughs> uh, she's very good in Election, which is sort of her big breakout role a couple years after this, where it's kind of a similar character to this, but she's a super overachiever in high school who's running for class president, but she's also blowing one of the teachers – Right. And there's this whole thing that's sort of in the background there. Right. So, like, she's good in that, but, I mean, uh, I I don't feel like I've seen a whole lot of her stuff afterwards. You know, I don't (laughs) think I have either. I think I just had a crush on her because of all the commercials for movies she's been in. Hmm. Like, she's, she's in American Psycho, but she doesn't have a lot to do there. She's the, uh, she's the fiance. Oh, I don't. Re- I saw that movie and I don't remember her at all. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't have a lot to do in it. Like I said, <laughs> I mean, she was in Pleasantville. She was good in that. Do you you I might have seen that? Uh, uh, Fear with Marky Mark. Oh, I think I did see that one. I I think he finger bangs her on a a, a carousel in that movie, if I recall oh, correctly. 
I want to say. That's I I've been meaning to come back to that stupid movie uh recently and I probably will soon. <laughs> <laughs> she was in she was June Carter Cash in Watch the, in Walk the Line. That was a pretty big one. I think okay. she may have been nominated for best actress in that. You know, she she played Johnny Cash's wife and they they right. sang the soundtrack her and Joaquin Phoenix. That's kind of the really big one. I haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> have I seen any Reese Witherspoon movies besides this? I don't know if I have. Inherent Vice. Oh, she's, yeah. She's in that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I know you've seen that. Did you see Gone? Oh, no, she wasn't in Gone Girl. She just produced Gone Girl. Uh, I didn't see Gone Girl. Yeah, that's a good movie. Uh, interesting, interesting movie. But yeah, like the, I, I just basically have not seen most of her main catalog, but they're all movies that are just not my taste at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, there, there are a handful of things I've seen her in where she doesn't have a lot to do. But this one and Election, where she's sort of a main character, she's really fucking great. Yeah. Um, Kiefer Sutherland does get top billing, but he is not in, by any description the lead of this film. No, but he gets to have a lot of fun, and oh, those facial <laughs> oh. prosthetics in the second part. Those oh, are so man. good. <laughs> uh, what a what an interesting take on the serial killer. Because when he's, like, we don't ever see this about serial killers, but when he's, all, like, on the back foot, he just breaks. He just becomes this blubbering, worthless. When he's not in control, he's pathetic. Right, because, you know, th- these are people who crave control, and that's sort of what they do. Uh, and th- that kind of seems psychologically accurate to uh, what we know of most serial killers. One of the things that I thought was really interesting about him is they mention he is a psychological counselor for troubled boys at private institutes, which means <laughs> he works in the troubled teen industry, which is a whole other crooked area. Uh, he he's one of these guys who just comes in to work as a psychiatrist and you know places that basically hold kids hostage and shit. Yeah, did you like it when your abusive oh. dad fucked you in the ass? Oh, he's so gross. Oh, and he makes that gross face. He's, like it's amazing. Like Kiefer Sutherland is a good-looking dude, but he does manage to look absolutely disgusting in so many parts here. Like but before even before the, prosthetic, the makeup, yeah, yeah, with just that sweaty upper lip. Ugh. Oh, he 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 kills it in this. They are both really great performances. Uh, I guess the next most important one is Dan Hedaya. Dan Hedaya is pretty great in this. I really like him. I know you can get, I know you can identify the killer, but can you catch the killer? And there's his, his, his cop partner. Who's pretty important, but doesn't really have, like, he sort of solves the case ultimately, but it sort of happens in the background. Yeah, he, he solves it, but he's also just a giant asshole to... <laughs> yeah. At first, I th- you think it's just going to be Therese because that's who her character is, that she attracts these people to be assholes to her. But he's like that to everybody. Yeah, it just seems like he's a raging dickhead. Uh, and she just pushes back against him really hard. And <laughs> there is that there's some uncomfortable scenes where she just like screams racial epithets at him. But yeah, they they are a little bit defanged, knowing that her boyfriend is black and that she is not, in fact, racist. She just is trolling this fucking dude. Mm-hmm. I just I just knew it would make you mad. Yeah. 
because yeah, her boyfriend is Bokeem Woodbine as Chopper. <laughs> oh, did you catch his last name? Chopper Wood. <laughs> Chopper Wood. Because he's the the wood. He's the woodcutter. Yeah, the woodcutter who's got to save her at the end. But uh, spoiler no. alert, he does not. This little Red Riding Hood got to save herself. It's the '90s girl power. Oh, I. This is 1996. <laughs> this was the year of the spice, was it oh, not? Oh shit! It, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> I think this was the year wannabe hit the charts. <laughs> now, now, when you described it last week, uh, saying that she's a little bit too difficult for him to handle. I didn't realize just exactly what you meant. I thought it was just more like, oh, you know, like she's going to keep getting out. And no, she, she fucking she, owns this man. She's too tough for him. She He, he is used to uh, a regular little girl who he can dominate where she is. She has grown up very fast. She has been forced to grow up at a very rapid rate. And it's gradually revealed uh, just to what degree. Uh, but she's just way tougher than him. She's grown up a lot tougher than this dude. Yeah, yeah. And there is some real real cathartic moments every time she like beats the shit out of somebody. It's always pretty great. And some of them have the uh, insight to be humbled by it and respect her for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Holmes, you beat the shit out of me. Now, now maybe we can have sex, maybe? No? All right. Mesquita. I, yes. I don't know if Mesquita was into her. It was Rhonda who was into her. Rhonda was into her, but Mesquita but was Rhonda's saying, into everyone. Yeah. <laughs> now, Mesquita was saying, like, the, it was a tough girl act, hoping that she would right. put out later. Right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, let's, uh, let's get into the beginning. Uh, we've got our amazing coloring book storybook style opening sequence yeah really sets things out we we, yep. we get uh, all of those roughly colored in sketches of a red riding hood theme mm-hmm. and we've got like this banging danny elfman's like very interesting score. elfman score it's like so unusual for his usual style it completely does not sound like your typical elfman i was yeah. impressed yeah, he's usually got the but this is like it, it well, definitely it's better than I did it. It, it harks back to his work as like an actual new wave artist, like a, a punk guy, because you know he was in Oingo Boingo in the eighties. I 80s. keep forgetting that because that's such a weird fact. <laughs> yeah, and it definitely feels more of that work and stuff like uh, when he he was with worked with his brother on Forbidden Zone, uh, and. Uh, yeah, very different from his usual Hollywood fare. Not that kind of floaty, Simpsons-y TV orchestra stuff. It's a weird, grimy edge to it, like everything mm-hmm. in this movie. Oh, so grimy. Um, did you notice uh, that the very last page of the coloring book is the wolf running away from a giant woman, like, by the house? <laughs> yeah. Like, running away. Yeah, like, well... Like suggesting that uh, it's drawn by her, or th- this is a, a fairy tale like she's put together in a way. Oh, see, I thought it was like all of these other women that the wolf are chasing are uh, Kiefer's Bob Wolvertons. Yeah, Bob Wolverton. Like all the I five vic- uh, killing victims, and then of right. course the last one being her. 
Yeah, of course. She is the one who's not a victim. You know, she she's going to be a giant woman. She's going to uh, show a giant woman. <laughs> <laughs> Although she's tiny, she's she is very giant. tiny. She is. That that is an amazing thing in this movie is how uh, frighteningly convincing Reese Witherspoon as, is as an underage prostitute in this movie. Uh, she is actually twenty at w- when this movie comes out. She fuck. she looks fifteen. She is very tiny and she is playing it because you know she had that very uh, girlish voice. So it's a little troubling. <laughs> and this is a movie that is trying to push all of those buttons it is like really pushing it in your face as you said like jerry springer new york post style stuff yeah yeah like springer exploitation yeah or white trash exploitation yeah i mean th- this is from the decade that spawned cops this feels like an a 90s version of what i was talking about with uh bad boys 2 last week as just this uh, explosion of trash violence and just really expressing the worst urges of the culture. Uh, after our, after our coloring book opening, we see uh, Reese Witherspoon playing Vanessa Lutz uh, at school. And the first thing we find out about her before anything else, she cannot read. She cannot read. Uh, she is half a, having trouble reading the sentence. The cat drinks milk. Uh, yeah. And you know, uh, in my overachiever at younger days, uh, I worked as a peer tutor in high school. Mm-hmm. And this is not a fiction. Like, I personally tutored a girl who was in high school who was reading at this level. Oh, wow. I So it's it's not unrealistic. <laughs> it's just ten- unrealistic for her because she is so bright otherwise. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, she is. We find out throughout the movie that she's actually very smart and resourceful and just can't do this one thing that can't read. doesn't really hold her back actually no she's incredibly street smart like like ridiculously street smart the most street smart like almost to, a, to an absurd degree to which it does seem a little unbelievable that she can't read the most basic stuff uh, in, in you know the the modern world, it, it it kind of doesn't fully track, but yeah, I mean, you know, I I can more or less buy it because uh, she plays it. Oh yeah, yeah, she plays it, and when she finally does read the sentence, everyone's so happy, and her twenty-something-year-old black boyfriend makes out with her, and the teacher's <laughs> like, "Oh, hey, you two, save that till after school." Yeah, but Bookie Woodbine definitely cast to be. Uh, looking older as a teen, uh, and yeah, he's considerably older. He he's born in seventy three, so he would have been twenty three years old. Oh, okay. When this uh, movie came out, so three years older than her. Yeah, see, he looks twenty three, but she yeah. still looks fifteen. Right, exactly. <laughs> they, I do believe that's. I would believe that that was the age dynamic. 100%. They, they are trying to really press buttons, especially with it being a black boyfriend who is older, who, you know, Bokeem Woodbine looks really intense. He's got the shaved head. He's very dark skinned, like he's not a light skinned dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, and he's he's a gangbanger in this named Chopper. <laughs> he's part <laughs> of, you know, uh, I, I think he's supposed to be a crip. Right? Or uh, is it a bloody... I can't remember which I color bandana know. he has. Because she has it in her blanket later. He wears blue. Okay, so he would be uh, a crip. 
I, I, I don't know the gangs. I, I'm going to assume Crip, you're right. Crip is blue and red is blood. I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty simple. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I should have been able to figure that out. I just couldn't think of the name of the other one. The Bloods and the Crips. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, completely out of my uh, That's fair, out of my wheelhouse. Uh, so we cut to a woman uh, trying to sell sex on the corner, and the first guy she pulls up to is like, Mm-mm, "Nope, just nope, 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 bye, nope." She's hard selling though. She's really going for it. Oh, this she is, is going so hard. This is Vanessa's mom, Ramona, <laughs> and the way it's revealed because I thought this is like a friend of hers or something. And she just walks up. like, mom, what are you doing? <laughs> like, well, you know, this is, this is work. Uh, not the craziest thing that, uh, happens to this, uh, to this poor little girl in the no, next but few minutes. It's, it's very rapidly escalating. It, it, again, it's, <laughs> it's doing that tabloid thing. It's like, Oh, and she's an illiterate 15 year old with a black gangbanger boyfriend. And she's way too sexualized. And then she comes home and she knows her mother is a sex worker. Who's all openly doing sex work in front of her. And then she goes back to see her stepfather, who is the biggest fucking creep. Oh my God. I, oof, this guy Larry is the worst. Gross. (laughs) Um, He's a gross guy. He's he's just a a minor bad guy of the the most classical and banal sort. Just the most basic, common piece of shit. Yep. He manufactures methamphetamines. Um, He does some other stuff. Sort of pimping Ramona, obviously. uh, Uh, And I don't know if he's pimping her or if he's just letting her do it but he makes her use mouthwash after yeah i mean i think he is basically living off of her more or less and definitely you know he's manufacturing meth and he is molesting vanessa it's pretty clear immediately oh uh like like it's not fully yeah like they don't outright say how far it's gone it's clearly suggested he's making moves on her but we mm. do realize very quickly and it it is discussed later that you know it's it's been a whole thing for some time yeah it's discussed in uh great detail, detail. yeah uh we we get the gory details it's really yeah. gross yeah yeah um this is thankfully this movie doesn't it for that part doesn't give doesn't follow the show don't tell rule it just yeah it lets us imagine it well, it it plays the faces. It, it it it's more them playing a mind game when we get to the explanation. It's uh, her and Kiefer Sutherland facing off. So it's it's more about their reactions to what's being said, mutually. Uh, we also learn that there's this I five killer going around killing people on the uh, I five interstate, and that Dan Hedaya is on the case, but he yeah. has no leads, no clues, no nothing. Right. This is on the TV in their apartment when yeah. uh, he's like cozying up to her and uh, trying to get with her. And then sort of luckily, the police show up. <laughs> not, kind of, well, not, yeah. Not yeah. No, I mean, it's it's a problem altogether. Uh, they, they haul the mom away. They haul Larry away. She gets taken to her social worker. Yeah, Larry's like the whole time he's like, I'm so fucked. I'm so fucked. <laughs> <laughs> they have to hogtie the mom and like take four people to put her in the back of the car. She does the whole like freak out thing, like rah, 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 rah. like that guy from cops is like, I can yeah. break these cuffs. You can't break those cuffs. I love that guy. 
yeah, you know, they're resisting arrest. They're doing the full cops treatment. Uh, and again, like I do think this movie is directly inspired by stuff like cops and, and it's, it's a derivative, like a, an extract of all of that really fucking horrible mid nineties culture and just kind of laying it all bare in one just, Kind of, as I said about Bad Boys 2, a trash rainbow. <laughs> like, yeah, this this feels like a scene out of Cops. Uh, yes. Even completely, even down to the way the camera moves. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, everything about it. But the female cop stays behind to talk to, uh, to, talk to Vanessa and is all like, hey, so, all right, uh, this question You're might upset age. you, but <laughs> did your stepfather have sexual relations with you? And she's like, she's offended by the question because, you know, but she's like, okay, well, we're going to get the, we're going to get the social worker here. And Vanessa's like, I don't want to go to the social worker. I could stay with you. And the cop's like, (laughs) no, thanks. No. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not interested in that. Thanks. Uh, I'm, Uh, I'm smarter than, uh, like, I'm a cop who has done this work for a little while. I know better than to take in the uh dangerously aware child of uh (laughs) these people like i i'm onto your game more than you think and the social worker is not no i feel like the social worker is played by an actual social worker she feels like she is just having a real bad day oh yeah she's like oh vanessa i'm so sorry it didn't work out trying to have you live with your parents again Uh, i guess we're taking you back to a foster home and Vanessa's like, like no. hey, what about my grandma? I who she's never met. You for you, I've been working with you for years. I didn't know you had a grandma. It's like I didn't really know about it either, and she doesn't know about me. But I know where she lives. I figure I could just uh, show up there. You know, she'll be real so excited to meet me for the first time. Oh well, I don't know, Vanessa. I think this is a bad. You just handcuffed me to the or handcuffed my leg to the bed. Yeah, and she steals her car. <laughs> I love the way, though, that she's like, okay, so let me just turn you around so that you're not uncomfortable. And uh, I left the keys on the TV. And if you just shout real loud, Mr. Wong will come. Like, I'm just going out for groceries. And here's what you need to do. The phone number's on the fridge kind of thing. Yeah. Just so casually like that. while She's stealing a car and 15-year-old freaking drinking beer in this car yeah again uh, uh, pushing every button i mean she's drinking and driving she's handcuffed her social worker she's stolen the car but of course the car breaks down really quick because this is a poor social worker who is just having the worst day so she doesn't have a working vehicle either yeah. she just breaks down immediately well not quite immediately she gets chopper first and is like hey oh, i'm going right. to see grandma and you want to come with? And Chopper's like, no. no, man, I can't. I got to go to court for my sentencing. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> it's like, oh, like well. oh, I'll miss you so much. And, you know, they make out some more. They make out. It's an extremely, like, just a little bit too long of a makeout scene. Of course, very it's, intentional. Yeah, it's lingering. It's it's meant to, it's it's attempting it's, to shock. It's gross. It's it's not a sexy makeout. No, it's, it's you know again, it's, it's entirely supposed to be shocking, especially <laughs> because he seems so much older than her. But and then immediately, <laughs> the second when she drives away, the moment she drives away, there's a fucking drive by. He gets drive by by a 
car playing La Cucaracha. Yeah, uh, <laughs> some Hispanic gang gets him, and he is dead. So he is dead. You know, no, no more woodchopper uh, who's going to be available to save her in the third act. Uh, nope, not unless, not unless he comes back as a ghost. But it's not that kind of movie. No. Although, although it might not a surprise. Uh, no, it's not that kind of movie. No. So very quickly, the car breaks down. Very quickly. But who should who should drive by and offer a hand but a good old, clean-cut, handsome, uh, well-dressed Kiefer Sutherland? What a Bob stroke of Wolverton. luck. Bob Wolverton. Wolverton. And yeah, he, he talks about how, oh, I'm a psychologist, I help troubled boys. Like, only boys? Yeah. But, you know... Sometimes it just feels really good to talk about what's going on. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you can say things to a perfect stranger that you can't even say to the people closest to you. And he just wants to hear about stuff. He's he's just gross. And I imagine this is probably a big part of why he does his other work, too. I'm sure of it. Um, You can get off on it to talk to these troubled teens and get them to confess things to him that are... (laughs) uncomfortable yeah uh, yeah he really like lays into the whole like well you know i'm a real good listener mm-hmm. i can listen uh, you can talk right well you know that's what you do as a psychologist and so he's setting himself up as this helpful authority figure and it definitely feels like the actual troubled teen industry methods where you set yourself up as a an authority figure and you you get people to open up and then you throw it back at them. You, you harm them with what you learned about them. You, you sort of weaponize your authority in a really uh, dangerous and, you know, destabilizing sort of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They go back and forth quite a bit. She tells her whole story, which is. Molested by the stepfather. Molested by the uh, stepfather. Big thing. Yeah. And like he, after after hearing it a bunch, he's like, okay, so I just need to know, do I have your absolute trust? And she's like, I guess so, sure. Yeah, I guess I trust you more than anyone I ever have. Uh, there, there's that part where she shows him the photo of her dad, who's actually Richard Speck. Oh. <laughs> That's, you know, he who, who uh, the, the guy who, uh, the, the sniper in Chicago who shot all the nurses. Or no, not not a sniper, a stabbing. Uh, he 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 attacked a bunch of nurses in a nursing dormitory. Oh, mass murderer. I, I don't I don't know if you like. I don't think there's been in, say a last podcast on the left series on him, but pretty notable. Uh, wait wait, that's the like uh, the actual murder. guy. That's the picture. It's a picture of Richard Speck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a picture of like an actor, and you were telling me about yeah no. how he stabbed a bunch of people in the movie Chicago. No no. Uh, oh a shit. Guy, yeah, Richard Speck, who is an actual mass murderer, that's who the photo is of. Oh, no kidding. When, when she shows, this is my real dad. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, um, so yeah, he starts like getting more and more invasive with his questions until he... It gets really gross. There, yeah. There's the whole thing about the oral sex and uh, the likening it to being a human toilet. 
yeah. it's it's very gross and he just keeps hammering it and you see her becoming more and more uncomfortable and you see him becoming aggressively turned on that sweaty upper lip and how fucking gross uh, he looks yeah until he finally says did you like it when larry fucked you up the ass and yeah, and he's point. he's clearly like he's sneering. He's become Ugh. he's starting to enjoy, it, and she realizes like you son of a bitch, you're yeah, fucking like, with me. Pull over right now, pull over right now, and let me out of the car. And he holds up the door handle, and he's like looking for this. Yeah, and that's when she realizes like she's you're like the guy holy that's been killing shit. all those people. You're that fucking guy, and he doesn't contradict her. He gives her that. <laughs> <laughs> And he Maybe. says something about how uh, he's going to kill her and then have sex with the dead body. And she's like, wait a second. Did you just say you're going to have sex with my corpse? And it's another thing where it's like, he doesn't say yes, but he doesn't. <laughs> you know, the implication. <laughs> yeah, the implication. She's like, so why are you killing all these people? And he does like this whole villain rant. His about missionary serial killer justification. Because they're sluts like you. Yeah. And it's like, no, nah, you just want to get off on them and you use that as an, ex- as an excuse. And he just the pause right there when he just doesn't say anything for a bit. <laughs> so telling. Yeah, she's she's defeated him. She totally has his number and he's never really encountered anyone who has his number before and who is totally unwilling to cave to his authority. She's like, no, fuck you. I totally have your number, you piece of shit. So he just starts punching her. Right. Because, like, so we know she has a gun because Chopper gave her a gun, but it's in her. We we didn't mention that she's carrying around a basket. Oh, yeah, a red picnic basket. Yeah, just like Little Red Robin Hood because it's got the red do-rag in it. uh, And, yeah, and she's got the gun under it, but it's in the back seat, not with her in the front seat. Yeah, so he's like demanding that she takes her pants off and she's like, okay, well, I got all these laces on my boots. It's going to take a bit. And yeah, as she's taking them off, she, I don't know how she does it. Cause it's so fast. She hops into the back seat, pulls out the gun and like points it at her. And he immediately goes into like crying, blubbering baby mode. Yeah. She's got it against the back of his neck and she's just like, okay, you are pulling over right now. I will not deal with this anymore. And he is still sort of trying to jockey for power where he's like, you think they'll believe you? Yeah, she's like, yeah, because at first she's like, we're going to the cops. Also, she pistol whips him repeatedly. It's hilarious. Of course, it's very funny. Every time she's like, Are, you're, we're going to crash the car if you keep doing that. <laughs> and then, yeah, it's like, you think the cops are going to believe you? So then she's like, pull over into that dirt road. And yeah, he's like, Jesus like, Christ. Yeah, like, are you, you're going to kill me? You can't do this. But she knows that, yeah, it's like, oh, that does kind of ring true. Maybe they won't believe me. But you know what? what's uh, going to uh, be really hard for you to walk away from? A bunch of fucking bullets in your head. Yeah, he's like, I'm a sick man. I'm a sick man. <laughs> yeah, well, lots of people are sick, but you actually went and did those things. That makes you a criminal first. Yeah, so... you you went out and killed people. That That is your decision. So it, first she shoots him in the neck, which mm-hmm. he somehow survives and like gets out of the car and is trying to run away. And she shoots so many bullets into him. It's so good. It's funny every time she shoots him. It's very gory. You just there's big squibs and she just <laughs> shoots him so many times. She's like he's on his face in the dirt and she's like, OK, 
I think it's dealt with. One and it just more cuts in the to her. head. Yeah. One more, and then like we see her going into this restaurant across the highway, just covered <laughs> in blood, but very casual. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, oh, oh, this, yeah, oh man, I must look like such, I must look like such a fright. You got a bathroom. <laughs> but the the owners they they all call the uh, call nine one one. Of and course. It turns out that uh, <laughs> she that he has uh, shown up as well. Like he's gotten to a phone. Yeah, he got he actually got to the, like right to the hospital somehow. Right. And he's maybe like, he was Help. able to get back in the vehicle. I guess because she didn't maybe. take the car. How did she, then? How did she get where? Hmm. I mean, I assume like she's at a truck stop. It seems like she's just off the highway. Yeah, so he must have taken the car to the hospital. Okay, all right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I love the bit where like the cops are talking to him and like the, everyone's trying to operate on him and he's just screaming like, "Oh why? Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh, it hurts so much!" It, just him being a crying bitch through much of the rest of it and how fucked up his face is when he comes back—it's all funny. <laughs> It's funny because he did such a good job as a psychopathic killer. It's great. Like it, both of these main performances, Kiefer and Reese, are both really good in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the wife of uh, Mrs. Wolverton, Brooke Shields. Talking... Oh, is that who that is? Brooke Shields. Yeah. Oh shit! I knew she was in this, but I didn't know where. Hmm. Uh, yeah, she's she's talking to the cops like, I want her – the cops like, you know, she is a juvenile, so – I want to be tried as an adult. She should get the chair for what she did to my husband. She's and the like, cops like, no, it's gas, not chair. Yeah, he's like, I don't care about that. Uh, it, again, playing to the hilt, the uh, wounded white lady who is uh, – <laughs> You know, a rich husband has been harmed, but, you know, secretly he is a fucking supervillain. Yeah. I want to see the police's manager. Yeah. So so they're interrogating Vanessa next. <laughs> this is where uh, she's very where, flippant. She's very flippant. She's like, yeah, well, she, he's like, I'm looking for the I-5 killer. Oh, well, you can just put that in a package because I killed his ass. <laughs> It's right, like, and well, it's like, yeah, he's not dead, and uh, we're not really finding any evidence that he's the I-5 killer. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess oh. one thing that we left out that's pretty important is that part when he uh, had the scissors and he cut off her, or not, was it scissors or just like a, a knife? razor blade. Razor blade, and he cut off uh, her her pigtail. Yeah, yeah, he cut, he cut that cut off. Her, and... her braid, uh, and... That was missing, but like dropped at the scene when she shot him. Because mm-hmm. that important detail that comes back. But that's a thing yeah. she tells them about that she cut off his cut off her hair, and he was uh, saying the stuff about how like she asked him about the dead body thing, and yeah, well, he made the face like he did agree, but he didn't say it especially. <laughs> I just love her reaction when they tell her that he lived. She, she's like, yeah, right. I shot him so many times. <laughs> and they're like, uh, so you admit you shot him. It's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I did a public service here. Like she, it, it takes her a long time to realize that he was right. And that the system is believing him as the authoritarian male over her as the troubled youth. Well, this it this is a thing her. he's probably done a lot. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. 
And really, he is right. The system would not – the system would side with him. Right. I mean, and that's exactly what, that's happens, what happens here. They, they, yeah. they kind of believe him until they're forced to believe otherwise. But she has to have a whole adventure on the way first. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the one cop, the, the black cop, gets really, really in her face about it and then, like, starts asking basically the same questions the other cop in Wolverton asked her. And yeah, and she gets pissed off, and she goes on a huge <laughs> racist tirade. Uh, and she and slaps him <laughs> and right. bashes him with a chair. It's, like, it's so over the top. And again, it would be too much for her character if it were not established that she is clearly not racist, that this is just her putting on an act to fucking troll this guy for being an asshole. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love when the black guy like finds out. Is like, oh my god, she's a coal digger, and then he has to explain what that means to Dan Hedaya. Right, right. <laughs> uh, it, when they finally go to the classroom and find the shrine to Dead Chopper. Yeah. Uh, but so she goes to juvenile detention, the uh, girls' juvenile detention center. Yep. Uh, where she meets Rhonda, played by Brittany Murphy. Yeah, very young Brittany Murphy, uh, who's super into her. <laughs> She's like, I'm here for huffing paint. <laughs> yeah. And I love girls. Her- She's also into heroin. Oh, and uh, heroin. Yeah, heroin is sort of the, the, the thing that kind of, she soft pedals, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, she, she's I just trying to see inappropriately, apparently. Yeah, she seems really out of it. But it, it's also a thing where like every sequence she's in, she's trying to get with Vanessa. And oh, Vanessa yeah. finally like there is like, OK, fine, but no kissing. Just please. I, I, I need some rest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll make out with you, but I'm not gay. Yeah. Fine, fine. Okay. I, I just don't want to fight anyone off right now. Well, she has to fight someone off right now. Mesquita! Mesquita, the bully girl. Well, she's like the top girl right now. She She's the leader of a Hispanic gang. Oh, not Maybe. anymore. She just got her face bashed into a wall. Well, you know, she was, but <laughs> she, she, she was. still is outside. I wonder if this is the gang that hit Chopper. It could be. Could be. It really could be. I, I I think it was her boyfriend might have been the same guy. It totally could be. Uh, I didn't think to look. Yeah, because like she meets them later on when they gear her up to go on the hunt again. <laughs> so after beating the shit out of Mesquite, like almost instantly, she didn't even get to do the bullying part. Yeah, she showed up and she's like, she's having this conversation with Rhonda about how, you know, Rhonda really likes girls and huffing paint and stuff. And she's like, Oh, excuse me one moment. Cause Mosquito is on her way over. And she's like, Oh, Mosquito is on her way to you. And like, hold on one moment. And she just like turns and destroys her. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. They have to like, they have to move her into solitary and uh, give her all these drugs and stuff. Which essentially, I think it was her establishing her position, and now you know everybody knows not to fuck with her, and she's she's with them. Like they they recognize her power, and it's like, okay, we 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 have no beef. <laughs> we're we're she's all good with them. But uh, the correctional officer is like, oh yeah, no, definitely try her as an adult. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah, that that girl is fucking dangerous, and she's right. She is fucking dangerous. 
Yeah, she. We see a montage of her in solitary, uh, making a knife out of a toothbrush and saran wrap. Classic Shiv. Good old prison Shiv. <laughs> the only uh, thing that she w- learned of any use from Larry, that piece of shit stepdad. True, true. That is where she got that idea from. Yeah. Uh, we see her on the watching the TV <laughs> with an interview with oh, Bob and his wife. She's laughing so hard at his <laughs> fucked up face <laughs> and how his dick doesn't work anymore. <laughs> we can't have sexual relations anymore. Do you mean to say that you can't get an erection? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he's, he's got all one side of his face is all messed up because she shot him in the neck. He's like, oh, well, it's been really difficult. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's got the robot oh, talking yeah. voice. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's got the robot voice. It's very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like halfway to being the wax head from the drop of water short. He totally does, yeah. <laughs> and yeah she is riotously laughing at it she's having a really good time uh, heckling this guy and again you know the the lady who's testifying uh as sort of an expert to her behavior does see this stuff too oh yeah but the, you know the the other girls are behind it's like oh okay she took out this guy that's kind of funny <laughs> <laughs> yeah because they're like because it's like oh wow she's badass she shot this guy so many times and he might be the I-5 killer. Yeah, and she's like, I know this guy's the I-5 killer. And I'm like, all right, well, how about we uh, do a fucking rad prison break? Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's do a prison break, and you can have your female prisoner scorpion moment. Oh, she rages out. Mosquita, th- there is some beef between her and uh, this lady who uh, uh, testified against the, testified the against or, Vanessa. Yeah, the warden yeah. or whatever. The, this whatever lady. Yeah. Nurse Ratchet is what I called her. Yeah, just the, this evil bitch. Oh, uh, yeah. And yeah, she fucking she she gets it so hard. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of unexpected because she seemed sort of innocuous as just an unpleasant figure of authority. But yeah, she gets it harder than anyone other than Kiefer. Yeah, like. <laughs> she gets stomped and stuff while uh while Vanessa's going out slashing the other guard with her toothbrush. The guard's like, You killed me. No, I didn't. Yeah, she she gives him a slash across the belly. But uh meanwhile Mosquito just fucking stomps the guard the the other girl or the, the lady to fucking death. Just she, uh Vanessa goes to check on her and just there's blood everywhere she's covered in it she's been stomping on her and like we gotta go <laughs> okay i guess i'm done <laughs> they all they're all howling you know it's they're making a very large public spectacle of themselves at the gas station where they're yeah. stopped in the bathroom and they you know they they steal the the transport van and take off yep uh head over to mosquito's gang Right, they outfit her with the gun so she can head up to her mythical grandmother's house. Ah, uh, yes. And of course, they have, like, the whole goodbye thing. It's like, I was just trying to get you to put out. Oh, <laughs> uh, Mesquita, I would have put out for you any day of the week. I only Aww. do that in lockup. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, I'm out now. You know, I, I have my boyfriend here. But, you know, next time we're in lockup together, because, you know, that's that's the life we run in. We know this. <laughs> yep. 
it's right around here where the black cop is like, something about this isn't right. Well, because he's Which, remembering the hair thing. So he goes yeah. to look at the scene of the crime and he finds it. There's that very frustrating shot where we see him looking around and it's from the perspective of us at the camera on the lock of hair, just sitting there waiting to be discovered and him annoyingly walking back and forth. And like, I know there's got to be something somewhere. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, but it's like the same color of the dried grass. So it yeah. would be so difficult to find. It's like, come on, find this thing. But he does. Although we never see him discover it, we just see him not discovering it for a time, and then later it shows up and we learn that he's learned the story. Yeah, so... so Because they uh, go to Bob's house. They go to Bob's house, and they're like, uh, they're searching around and just, they're just like, uh, hey, make sure you make a note that she didn't sign the search warrant. And yeah, she's the hysterical. Point. Because yeah, they're the like, black... we, we're we going to come in here. We have a search warrant. It's like, you have a search warrant for me? My husband has been brutalized. And she is, you know, throwing her whole Karen thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, and the black cop just like gets so in her face uh, after they discover the shed full of child pornography. Yeah. They, they open up like, the, the shed and just, just child pornography fountaining out the door as well as remains. Oh uh, yeah, it's like the it's like the cartoons when you open up the overflowing closet. But like the most horrible possible version of it. Like it, it the like the cats and yammer kids, but it's like Epstein Island and it's, you know, a New York Post version of an editorial cartoon. But <laughs> And, you know, uh, the wife, Mimi, she she runs up to her room and uh, shoots herself in the head. Yeah. Just after the black cop is like, Hidaya is like, hey, lay off on her. And the black cop's like, fuck her. Yeah, fuck that bitch. And she goes and shoots herself. And like, yeah, fine. <laughs> I agree okay. with him. He's right. <laughs> Pretty much. But, uh, you know, she. Meanwhile, uh, Vanessa has found her way to grandmother's trailer park. Yep. And, uh, or no, first she, oh, we've got, she has that weird thing where she is, she has to steal a car. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, so yeah, she's like, uh, she's standing at the corner looking for people to pretend to sell sex to. Um, Although we do know that she was actually tricking as a child too. So it's not something because they, they mentioned like, you've been tricking since you were in grade five He's like, well, it was only hand jobs. He's like, oh, Jesus, lady. And so here, like, she's she's trying to pull this guy over, and she just has flashbacks to Bob with all of the oral sex stuff because the guy wants a blowjob. Yeah. And she, thinking of how Bob had twisted all of that around on her and made it, like, extra gross for her, uh, she just fucking gets really furious with this dude. <laughs> Yeah, like, she she shoots past him. Well, because she's going to rob him, and then she pulls out his uh, his wallet, and he didn't have the money she asked for to pay him in the first place. So he was he going was to stiff her. $5? Yeah, and she is so pissed off, and she almost shoots him, but then she just takes the car. She shoots at his feet a whole bunch. Yeah. She then puts him in the trunk, and then shoots at the trunk, but she's out of bullets. Yeah. But she, he just stays in that trunk for some time. Uh, we don't ever uh, see him get out, but we hear him like asking for help when people go by a couple times later. Yep. Uh, but Bob, 
had the address from the photo of her dad. Yep, when she when she showed him the photo, he sleight of handed the the uh, or when she showed him the wallet, he sleight of handed the address, uh, the picture of grandma with the address out of it. Right. So uh, so he got there first to grandmother's house. He did. And oh, my God, they really fucking did it. They really have him dressed up as granny (laughs) under the sheets with the fucking shower cap. He's got the covers pulled up to his nose and like she immediately (laughs) really like what. Oh, my God. Bob, What is it she says about him? Like what Um, big something you have, Bob? You got some real fucking ugly teeth there, Bob, or something like that. Yeah, because, I mean, he is. Uh, he, like, he he's a freak show now so he's really oh, yeah. impossible not to recognize that shot where we see grandmother all like bondaged up in uh oh like, my god he btk'd her uh, yeah. uh up on like a table or something yeah she's like you kill grandma that's not all i did yeah he he uh definitely had sex with grandma's dead body as he is like to do Mm-hmm. So, so she fights him, kills she, him. She, yeah, she goes fucking berserk on him. Uh, yeah, she ends up strangling him while the cops are just outside, like, outside, <laughs> trying to figure out what's going on. They they blindly go past the trunk with the guy screaming for help in it, and they do not hear him and miss him. Yeah, and then they wait until there's no sound coming from the trailer uh, before they finally go in. And Vanessa comes out, they go past her, and they're seeing, like, Bob dressed as Grandma, like, dead on the floor. They see Grandma, and they're just like, oh, fuck. Jesus Christ. Yeah, and they come out, and Vanessa's just outside, sitting in a chair. Yeah, it ends on her saying, uh, y'all got a cigarette? (laughs) Da-da-da-da-da! Freeze frame, yeah. (laughs) Love American style. <laughs> Holy fuck, this movie is just doesn't stop. Yeah, nonstop, absolutely fucking intense, uh, very fucking wild. Oh, man, and, and it's like, you, if Kiefer's performance as the killer wasn't so good, you'd feel bad for him. Because <laughs> yeah, he gets it. Like, <laughs> but he's so gross. It's a difficult role to play because of that. Both of them, I think they're both really tricky roles to play because they're both such extreme characters. They're both a real hard line to play. Because, again, for uh, Reese Witherspoon, she has to be sympathetic while being an incredibly abrasive, like, tabloid reconstruction of the worst teen. Yeah, like, but, well, yeah, it's such a hard line to, to walk because... They do make it clear, like, yo, none of this is her fault. She's been through some shit. Right. But, oh, man, yeah. But they never make her play it sympathetic. Like, there's no point where they have her, you know, breaking or or having uh, any sort of emotional epiphany. Like, she is abrasive. She fucking kills this guy. And she has no qualms about it because he sucks. Uh, and it, it's just a movie that is very in your face about all of this stuff. It's just, yeah, sometimes the world is fucking horrible and insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, like, this is kind of like the female prisoner scorpion of the 90s. 
it's definitely got some of that flavor to it. Just the the violent retribution on the I-5 killer is so fucking great. <laughs> and just how fucked up he looks in that whole second half. Oh, I mean, he's all disfigured. the part where she's like shouting across the courtroom about how <laughs> ugly he looks. Yeah. Oh, Bob, you got hit with the ugly stick so bad. And Laura's like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing? And like the judge is like, she is obviously poisoning the judge against her but she's having so much fun screaming at how fucking ugly bob looks now and you can see it hurts him oh yeah (laughs) it's all like very upsetting to him he really hates this loss of control yeah it's delicious it's every every moment of it (laughs) he can't lure innocent even if he didn't die from this he can't lure innocent girls into his car anymore it's not gonna work that ruined this whole thing that's the subtext of the he can't get an erection anymore is that he's no longer able to get off because the way he got off before was on his control games with kids and now he he can't do those because he looks like a monster like she mentions it's ruined his work because kids won't open up to him anymore yeah yeah which that's what turned him on that's why the sex life doesn't work anymore yeah (laughs) so he's horrible and just everything that happens to him is great again like the guy in evil dead 2 it's just every fucking thing that you pile on him is funny (laughs) yes so there is a sequel to this uh freeway 2 confessions of a trick baby oh (laughs) you remember there's that part where she says i ain't no trick baby but then later on she reveals like okay well technically uh i have been tricking since i was in grade five but you know that 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 doesn't count it's just just jobs that's not yeah it doesn't count right uh so the the second one it's completely different characters it's uh, a girl who's very very similar to ronda and a very a girl who's very similar to mesquita but it's not quite them uh and uh, the the Rhonda character who is sort of stuck on this fe- this teen serial killer girl, basically, and the two of them escape together. And I think it's sort of a Hansel and Gretel thing. Oh, okay. The thing is, um, the the lesbian character who is sort of the the Rhonda version, she's also bulimic, so it's just constant retching and vomiting. Oh. There's so much of it in the movie, and it it's very exhausting to watch mm, in that regard. I don't think I would like that. Yeah, I I liked it considerably less than this one. This one is hilarious. Fucking rules. I love this movie. It's one of the tawdriest, nastiest movies of the 90s in the best sort of way. Like, it's very self-aware. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, this is the movie I think of now when I think of exploitation. (laughs) Yeah, very. It's a, a perfect example of 90s exploitation where it was a genre that was sort of rare in the mainstream because, you know, you don't have major studios making exploitation. Indie studios kind of got into a prestige thing after, you know, Clerks and Reservoir Dogs kind of made that uh, fashionable. You you had the indie film revolution. You didn't have hard exploitation stuff coming out that much in mainstream. You got that in like direct to video shit. So this being just like a real hard one right in the middle of the 90s is Ah, it's it's beautiful. It's so good. (laughs) I can't believe I never heard of this film. This is one I saw back in the VHS era, but had not seen again since. So uh, this was the Vinegar Syndrome 4K release, which is the uncut version, which has been unavailable for a really long time. I don't think it was ever on home video in its uncut form previously. Oh man! I think just some minor things changed. Oh, okay. 
I think the in the scene with the grandma in the uh, other cuts, uh, there's a vase covering her her privates. Oh, <laughs> they, they, right. They put in a vase. Yeah, <laughs> you know, the the eyes wide shut uh, way of going about it. You just right. put some stuff in front of them. Yeah, put some figures in robes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, a real good time. So, any last thoughts on Freeway before we head on to our third and final section? Yeah, who do you think wins between Reese Witherspoon's character and uh, female prisoner Scorpion? I think it's still Scorpion. Because <laughs> she's supernatural. She's got witch powers. Oh, right. But I don't think right. they would fight each other. I don't other. think they I, would I feel fight. Like, yeah, I... I in the situation where, you know, uh, Scorpion fights one of the other girls when there is another serial killer lady who's sort of deranged, it's usually someone who is totally unreasonable. I feel like they'd vibe. <laughs> oh, man. They'd be like, I bet she could get Scorpion to open up. It's like, no, I shot this guy this many times. How many times did you stab that guy? I feel like oh. they'd get each other, but the thing is, Scorpion is always going to be silent. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd watch that movie, though. <laughs> sure, <laughs> the yeah. The Reese Witherspoon Scorpion movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like any English or uh, Americanized version of Female Prisoner Scorpion would be bad, but in the right hands, it could be really interesting. I just feel like most eras, you're going to come up with something that's total trash. And in the 90s, it would have been awful. Oh, God. <laughs> a 90s female prisoner scorpion reboot would have... Because, like, I think of... In terms of Japanese remakes in, in America in the 90s, like, I'm thinking of the 98 Godzilla, which is still one of my yeah. least favorite movies I saw in theater. And I've seen some stinkers. That's a lot of fish. <laughs> that's a lot of fish. All right. Any last thoughts before we head on to part three? No, that was it. All right. And we're back for part three, the Watched Stacks, the last one of our resolution month. We've got ten picks this week, as I think we've had most weeks this month. All right. What do we have? What do we have in store today? So first up is The Five Days. Uh, Dario Gento film. Uh, you've seen a couple of, you've seen one and a half of his movies. Oh. <laughs> uh, he did Trauma. You, you may recall that we watched around Halloween. Oh, the, with the head <laughs> the decapitation head machine. The decapitation machine with the fishing wire. And, yep. uh, yeah, uh, Piper Laurie, totally great. And he's also the guy who directed Suspiria. Uh, it's kind of his biggest film. You saw about half of that. Yeah, that's right. It was <laughs> too bright and it was overwhelming and it like I wasn't in the right mindset. It's uh heavily inspired by uh, uh Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath, for I, sure. I could see it. You know, yeah. The the gel lighting and stuff, it's an amplification of that. Oh yeah. So this is a movie he did in the early 70s and it is very maximal, but this one is a comedy. This is the only comedy he ever directed. It's very Black comedy, of course. Of course, of course. <clears throat> so the five days refers to a revolution in Italy uh, and a five-day siege of Milan by Austrian troops, I believe. Oh. In like 1848 or something. And it's uh, during the uh, the Italian Revolution. And it follows this guy 
our main dude, I think I, I can't remember the name of the character offhand at the moment, but he's in jail and revolutionaries knock a hole in the wall. So he jumps out and he's going to go back to his thieving life. But it turns out his main dude, like his best friend and thief has become this major revolutionary figure. So he's like trying to find this guy and just missing all these important revolutionary events. Hmm. And it's sort of a sex comedy. It's, kind of silly at times but it's very dark uh and you know eventually he catches up with the guy and just sort of sees that there's this corruption at the heart of everything and uh that uh, you know the the revolution's kind of a sham it sort of feels like lucia in that sense the the middle section of lucia but uh, like a rosencrantz and gildenstern stumbling through that because there's this dumb guy he catches up with who or who who ends up tagging along with him he's in uh a bakery that explodes and the 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 baker kid it's his uncle's bakery and he just starts following the dude around okay (laughs) and sort of them just you know stumbling in between horrifying battles where people are just getting slashed up and blown away yeah it's, it's weird cool interesting stuff next we've got Nude on the Moon, the uh, an, an early picture by Doris Wishman. Oh, she uh, <laughs> she goes to the moon. It is like real out of the apartment stuff. Uh, she there, there's no <laughs> apartment sequences to be had. What? Well, then where did they shoot it? Well, there the was moon? this nudist colony. Oh. <laughs> uh, it's a place called I think it's Coral Gardens, Florida. Yeah, let me see. It's it's even on yeah. Coral Castle in Homestead, Florida, which is just this uh, weird castle, uh, like sort of a a castle theme park thing that's uh, full of, you know, it's it's made out of coral and and coral reef and stuff. And it's just this very weird, ornate little it it feels like an occult spot. Like it's it's sort of uh, it feels culty. Okay, but anyway, it's you know it's it's Doris Wishman actually doing sync sound. Well, not sync sound, but you, she's trying to sync voices to people's mouths for like a good chunk of the start of the movie, <laughs> and you see her starting to look for ways not to do it as it moves <laughs> on. It's like I don't like doing this. Is a lot of extra work. <laughs> Squirrel, bird, building. Yeah. There's very little of that. You don't have a lot of cutaways and you see her start to just do scenes where you just show someone in silhouette where they're on the phone and it's like, okay, we don't really need to worry so much about that. We got the other end of the phone. We don't even see that person. And so the guys (laughs) in silhouette, so that we don't need to match it up that much. Uh, Just looking for ways. And then of course they're in space helmets for a lot of the movie because these guys, these two scientists. Yeah. And, uh, this guy's really interested in rockets, and he's like, I'm going to be the first guy to get to the moon. And they build their independent rocket, and they fly, and they land in a crater on the moon, which it turns out has this sort of Earth-like atmosphere. That's and lucky. there's this nude queen on the moon, and she runs this nudist colony. They're pretty cool. friendly. Yeah, and they these guys just fucking wander around the nudist colony taking pictures and notes like perverts <laughs> and they're oh. like oh and the scientist wants to steal some gold and uh the the main guy falls in love with the queen and 
they have sort of a romance as much as they can, despite, you know, they're aliens. And uh, the the aliens are, are distinguished by having antennae, which are on barrettes, obviously. <laughs> of course, where else? <laughs> yeah. And they're not fully nude. Everybody does wear underwear because, you know, it was still like 1961 or something. So you couldn't, yeah, you couldn't just do more do than they're just everyone's topless. Uh, yeah, kind of zany. It's it's Wishman-y, but it's not full Wishman yet. You don't have that full experience. Uh, it's colorful and outdoorsy, just okay. kind of surprising. Yeah, she's not known for either of those, really. No. Uh, next is uh, Pin Down Girl, a.k.a. The Blonde Pickup, a.k.a. Racket Girls. <laughs> Uh, th- this one I've seen a bunch of times on Mystery Science Theater, but this is the actual Something Weird disc, or Kino Something Weird, uh, from their Forbidden Fruit Golden Age of the Exploitation Picture Series. So I guessed incorrectly uh, that mm. this was a Doris Wishman film. Oh, yeah, it looks Wishman-y, doesn't it? It does. It's basically like, this would be adjacent. It's it's right in between Nude on the Moon and bad girls go to hell in terms of its uh in terms of the trajectory of the exploitation film it's a little bit later from the period where it all had to be we're showing a nudist colony and this is what nudists do so we can show it because it's educational right right <laughs> and and stuff like uh the the white coder films where it's like uh, teen preg uh, teenage mother means 9 months of trouble and they show a full <laughs> birth in the middle of the movie which is <laughs> excessive uh <laughs> this one it's almost a movie it, it, you know it's still a cautionary tale about you know troubled teens and stuff but it's kind of just an exploitation movie in its most primordial form all right. So this is Lady Peach's page, who was a real wrestler, I guess, a ladies wrestler at the time. And she's been sold, you know, like her contract's been sold out to this guy who runs a gym, but he's crooked. Of and course. He's got his little uh, Italian dwarf buddy who he, he sends to drug race horses sometimes. And <laughs> uh, there's this other Mr. Big who's trying to move in on his territory and knows he's got like these ladies and he treats women bad and he's a pimp on the side and you know it's his empire crumbles in itself because the little italian guy gives a racehorse a little bit too much and it drops dead on the starting line and uh, everything just kind of falls in on him <laughs> okay <laughs> uh i mean it's almost a movie <laughs> but you know, it's it's got kind of that plucky early exploitation energy that sort of derives from the 30s poverty row stuff which was really snappy because you know they had a very limited amount of time and they were only going to spend like 60 to 65 minutes on this thing (laughs) (laughs) is this the one you uh sent me a video to of like just like 10 minutes of girls wrestling or something Yeah, it just goes on and on and on they're endlessly doing the horse move just trying to buck her off yeah, there's two scenes like that in the movie. One of them, they wear kitty masks. <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, it's very fetishy, obviously, but it's <laughs> of course. them in, like, the granniest of panties, so it doesn't, <laughs> like, it, it's so outdated. You're watching, like, a fetish film for people who would now be, like, 120 years old. So, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> I see ankle. Don't tell anyone. 
you know, it's it's like for uh, old old Uncle Moneybags from uh, Prometheus. <laughs> this is something he'd be titillated by. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, next, we got Train Spotting. You I've ever see Train Spotting? This no, that's crazy. I mean, it's you know one of the fucking ultimate '90s films. Uh, I think it's also '96. It's uh, more purely '90s in a different sort of way. It's just totally iconic. It sort of uh, defined the the decade in a weird sort of way. The the film that totally announces Danny Boyle as a major director, okay, and Ewan McGregor uh, as a as a big star. So it's about heroin addiction in Scotland, and just story wise, pull quotes. It's it sounds drab, you know. It's a, a bunch of people who are fucking shitty to each other. They have all these toxic relationships. They're uh, all on heroin in. Uh, Edinburgh in the early 90s during the AIDS epidemic mm. uh, and the 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 innovative thing about it is that it's fun it's just super energetic it's 90 minutes it's tight there's just so much music and just this kinetic way of approaching everything that it's like we got to go in with this with the approach to show that drugs are actually fun and that's why people do it and it's a really good time until it's not so it's it's just a a fascinating work one of the things that's a problem is the current blu-ray the mixing of the music is really low and music is so important to this movie that it's parts there's one part where the music is supposed to be loud and the guys are yelling over it but it just sounds like they're yelling over this quiet background music and it sounds stupid i don't know what someone's got to do a better release of it that's a shame yeah, but it's, you know, it's an all-time classic. It's one that I saw contemporary on VHS back in, like, 97. And, uh, you know, it, it's one of those huge influential movies on me as uh, a budding film kid. Cool. Next, we got The Mist. I think you've seen this. I have seen either this or The Fog, and I swear my brain will never be able to differentiate between the two which one is which so the mist is the one where they're trapped in the supermarket and there's the evangelical lady who keeps screaming at them and starts to like take over half of the thing and it has the most depressing ending ever (laughs) the most hilariously cruel mean ending in (laughs) film history yes that is the one so that yeah okay yes yeah oh i think we've talked about it before we have (laughs) talked about it who do we want (laughs) It's fun. I mean, the the thing I had forgotten from having not seen it in some time is Andre Brower is his neighbor guy who's the first uh, The Mist is a hoaxer. He's like oh. his next door neighbor who's a lawyer who just decides like, oh, y'all are just trying to pull a fast one on me. And he does kind of feel like Holt from <laughs> Brooklyn Nine-Nine, like his character later when he's uh, the, the chief on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. You yeah. Know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it I, it I feels... Yeah, it feels like him doing holds where it's like, oh, I just think you're trying to play a trick on me. And he just he has the sunk cost fallacy where he refuses to believe it. And eventually uh, his he collects a cadre of hoaxers to go out into the mist. Uh, <laughs> it's it's again, it's one that has aged extremely well uh, in a very similar way to Prometheus. But <laughs> that ending is so fucking hilariously bleak. I I. I literally, like, <laughs> when the credits roll, I was like, holy 
shit. It's, you, why you did that? It's so cruel. Well, the thing is, this is based on an unfinished Stephen King novella. And his story basically ends just before that with, you know, and they just drove on into the mist because he never finished writing it. So it's like, well, how do we just end this story immediately? And like you give it both endings. You give it the ending of. Yeah, I mean, no spoilers for this. It, oh, it is a must see, but it's but so fucking it hilarious. Is the most, uh, it's the most Bleak. depressing ending ever. <laughs> so it harsh. is so dark. But yeah, it's it's aged well. One of the cool things is this set, it has uh, both the original color version and the black and white version. The black and white version, for the monster effects, it does work better because the CG colorization, it sort of is a little harder to get right. And it gives it right. more of a 50s monster movie flavor, which Ooh. feels appropriate, you know? Yeah. Okay. I definitely saw it in color when I saw it. Me too. Yeah. Uh, originally and like i had this on dvd back in the day too but uh yeah it's uh the 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 black and white is an interesting flavor for it all right next we got jaws 3 3d jaws 3d all right that's a fucking silly ass movie i kind of <laughs> love it it's bad but it's bad in such a great way you got randy quaid as one of the sons of chief brody oh, okay and he's working at SeaWorld. Of course. Uh, and the movie is shot for real on location at SeaWorld. And it's hilarious how much they show SeaWorld to be corrupt and run by a bad guy, <laughs> like by a supervillain in this. Even though they're actually shot there and like use their facilities and thank them for it and stuff. It's really funny. <laughs> and even though SeaWorld is actually run by corrupt evil villains. Right. I feel like they felt like, well, I mean, I mean, how can we even dispute it? They they can just do that. And it's it's this whole fun thing where they've built this huge sea lab under SeaWorld where they have all these underwater tunnels and stuff. And then there's a super smart shark. It's basically deep blue sea, but at SeaWorld with a uh, loose connection to the Jaws franchise. Because like right. the Jaws Jaws has become super smart. Uh, there's the part where they catch the baby shark and it just fucking turns over dead because there's too many people looking at it and it gets stressed out. That oh. always just fucking cracks me up. The the thing, one of the things that I really love about it is just everyone says the most obvious thing at every moment. Like there's there's this part where you know the shark is out and everybody sees it and it's chasing the water skiers. <laughs> you know they're they're doing the water skiing triangle and you oh, see. Yeah the water skiers and it's like right hot on their heels and they're like, Oh God, it's going to eat us. And it cuts to someone in the stands and they do a dramatic point and says, it's going to kill them. And uh, one of the scenes I sent you where they're uh, underground in the sea lab and a piece of a torso floats up behind something and <laughs> someone screams, Oh <laughs> and then they like get pushed into the the screen and they're like pressed up against the glass with the floating corpse and they're going ah <laughs> it's the kind of movie that just always does that shit and i kind of love it for that <laughs> they're killing him yeah and then they're gonna kill me yeah that's oh my god shit. i love that <laughs> Uh, next, we've got Sinistre, or Sinister, uh, spelled wrong. I think the original VHS release of it had Y's, is Sinister, because, oh. you know, this is a 
edgy shot on video 90s movie oh if it was 90s it was definitely wise it was wise in the original vhs release so it's reservoir dogs what if reservoir dogs were a shot on video slasher movie where where instead of going to the warehouse to hole up after the botched robbery they go to the the abandoned house on the edge of town that they're sure is definitely deserted. Nobody knows about this place, right? Oh, oh, the house that uh, the old man warned them not to go into? Basically, it's like they go to the house from Spookies, because, like, not only is there a giant axe-wielding evil supernatural menace who's going to go after them, there's, like, a horde of zombies, there's (laughs) demons, there's all sorts of monsters... And there's like only three guys and one of them dies on the way there. It's <laughs> mean, a lot of menace for just a couple of fucking dudes who uh, uh, knocked over a jewelry store. <laughs> oh, well, man, I like Reservoir Dogs because it had a lot of guys. Yeah. And I mean, you know, because it was written by Quentin Tarantino. And it's wow. kind of, you know, a brilliant uh, piece of self-aware work. This one, you know, it's it's fun. <laughs> there, there's some fun gunfights for being a shot on video thing. You don't see like squibs and gunfights that much in this sort of thing. Okay. There's, you know, a, when they flash back to them shooting up the jewelry store, it's kind of a fun shootout. Right on. Next, we've got Kuruku, Beast of the Amazon. Oh, uh, this is the Snuffleupagus one, right? Yeah, it looks a lot like Snuffleupagus, the the Kuruku costume. Uh, this is a 50s, uh, actual like Universal Studios, I believe, monster movie. Okay. And it's, I mean, it's regressive as fuck. It's real racist. They're like Oof. going into the deepest Amazon to uh, the headhunter tribes. Oh. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's very... Of its time, but uh, you've got uh, certainly a lot of Heart of Darkness in it. You know, Apocalypse Now, also based on Heart of Darkness. Right. They're like going down, they're they're going to the highest point in the river a white man's ever gone. Because the thing is, this this Karuku, it's scaring all all of these uh, natives away back into the forest to go uh, back to their tribes. uh, Instead of working at these american plantations and factories that they really need them for so like we gotta send our fixer down the river to go uh kind of deal with this problem i see <laughs> yeah so we're on the side of the fixer of course you know and he's he like punches out a medicine man at one point you know you got all sorts of stuff uh he's mostly respectful of them but like he's also there to uh do a job and there's a lady who is like forced her way into it and there's also this uh mercenary guy who may know more than he lets on you know the the whole thing a lot of safari footage like you you see a whole thing where i think it's a mongoose and a cobra just battling it out for real uh, nice uh next we've got the demon's baby Ooh. uh this is a hong kong category three horror film what's a category Uh, three horror film so category three i mean it's kind of a bullshit thing but it sort of has some mystique it's sort of like the nc-17 in hong kong but there there was a wave of movies that got the category three thing that are just like known to be really splattery really gory really over the top kind of 
able to go further because they know that they're going for this restrictive rating that they're just allowed to do whatever the fuck they want. Like a, a big iconic thing would be something like Rikio. Okay. Okay. So this is sort of in that vein, uh, but it's uh, obviously really cheap and exploity and kind of not so uh, it's there. There's this, this Buddhist disciple these two guys basically and they're working for this dude who's crooked and he's just marrying his fourth wife he's bringing the fourth wife in and he's got his council of three evil wives already <laughs> <laughs> well i need a good wife to balance it all out i guess so the thing is he i mean he's obviously really crooked too it's just he, they're going to exploit exploit this young fourth wife and the the new wives they don't like her so much and she's not so into the arrangement to begin with there's a part where uh someone sees him cheating with someone else and he uh strangles her to keep her quiet and that's a, a clip i sent you of them fishing and it's it, it very expressive of the tone of this movie where they're like fishing and they're really happy and they're totally grinning like complete idiots and like haha we're having fish for dinner tonight and they're reeling it in <laughs> and then it turns out to be the dead body and it cuts back to their smiles falling <laughs> like oof uh so yeah that's the the body they find there is the just this poor serving lady that they off for uh seeing too much and ultimately uh the the three evil wives get a cursed all get cursed pregnancies at the same time <laughs> uh it gets very evil dead slash brain dead you know the the peter jackson one very splattery thing with like monster wombs eating things eating everybody eating uh it's the sort of movie where like you see uh someone holding an adorable puppy and then there's like the 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 evil one of the evil wives is talking about i'm hungry and is like oh no oh no and yeah, uh, very soon you see mulched baby puppy. So it's it's it, it, it's very gory. It's very gross. You see just like tentacles shooting out of wombs and consuming things. It eats uh, all of the animals in the house. Uh, they send in all the livestock and the dogs and stuff. It's it's very fucking ridiculously over the top. All right. <laughs> and the thing is, like, they talk to this Buddhist Van Helsing type who gives them a bunch of helpful tips for dealing with ghosts. Like, you know, you put tofu in their mouths and stuff. And ultimately, he has to show up and rescue them. But then he gets, like, fucking cut in half. And it's, it's fucking nuts, you know? <laughs> Damn. Gets cut in half real bad? He gets cut in half just so bad. And last up is Beast in Space or The Beast in Space. So mm. I talked about The Beast quite some time ago. Uh, a Valerian Borowicz film where it, it came up because in one of the nunsploitation movies, there was a clip that was borrowed from the beast that I told you about okay. with the horses having sex. Oh, I think I vaguely remember this. And how I was like, oh, God, I can't believe I've seen that scene of horses having sex in multiple <laughs> movies now. <And> just <laughs> So Beast in Space is the beast. Let's do yep. it in space this time. Sure. So it's a sort of a softcore porno where uh, at the end there is some hardcore, but like it's just insert shots. So like not, I mean, literally, <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge, insert shots. I mean, it, it, it literally <laughs> is that too, because it's just, there are shots of blowjobs and penetration that are just detached from what's actually happening because it's a long actual softcore scene, just like they added it later. 
Okay. But it's the same plot as The Beast, which is this Ulyrian Borwick's film where this lady is having these nightmares about being sexually assaulted by this beast man in a forest. Uh, and it, it has this indelible image in the original one where uh, the beast man is having sex with uh, the powdered wig and just spooges into it voluminously <laughs> and just unforgettable and disgusting. Uh, this movie is kind of a remake of that, but Star Trek, you know, they're on a mission They're It's less Star Trek-y in that, you know, they are working for a corporation. They're going to go get some important mineral, right? This is post Star Wars. This is post Alien. And they're capitalizing on the space mystique as well as, you know, porno chic. I see. So they, you know, very talkily, there's a whole thing where they go there and then they end up on this weird planet which is rolled over by a giant robot that went insane 15 centuries ago. And it's got all the mineral held inside its body. So you can't get to it. Mm. And they stay with this guy who's a satyr. And it, it's this lady's uh, horny dreams about the, the beast man are, are all coming true. And this is the place. And sure enough, uh, the, the horny beast man comes after her. I sent you an image of it earlier. <laughs> yep. <laughs> So yeah, it's it's that you know the, there's the horny beast man. Uh, everybody in the cast has a uh, like 15 minute orgy, and then uh, the planet <laughs> blows up. I guess uh, they, you know some people get out, some people don't. Uh, it's kind of fucking crazy. All right, well that sounds fun. It's uh, you know it's a whole wacky thing. The all of the hardcore inserts is like this is gross all of a sudden when there has not been any real sex in the rest of the movie. It just like feels very explicit suddenly <laughs> very strange so of those 10 what do you figure well i'm pretty much pretty much guaranteed yeah like these all look kind of interesting but if and it would be a harder choice if train spotting wasn't on here but i want to see train spotting it is a great movie it's too bad about the the sound in yeah. this one uh but you know you'll still get most of the experience just like turn it up as much as you can, I guess, because the, the music. Headphones. Okay, and the the music is so important to this movie. Like this is one of the great movie soundtracks. Okay. So cool. we have a handful of quick additions to the stacks, but of course, again, it's a resolutions month, so we're not quite picking from them. Uh, but just uh, to keep us up to date, first up is Blaze Star Goes Nudist. Uh, as you can Star. imagine. <laughs> please. Okay. <laughs> I was just no, I was just gonna say the name again. Blaze oh, okay. Star goes nudist. As you can imagine, this is the next in the Doris Wishman set because this is her nudist colony section. So Blaze Star was this famous person. Uh, she was, uh, but she was a famous stripper. So I mean, her going nudist, I guess, isn't really that shocking. She was like a burlesque performer, pretty known for that. All right. She wasn't really in movies. She was just sort of a known personality. She had married someone really famous who had died. Uh, like, uh, uh, I think it's Governor Huey Long. Okay. He was uh, this governor of New Orleans who was assassinated uh, and by the guy who uh, was tried to be tied into the JFK assassination and the whole uh, JFK conspiracy with Jim Garrison. Right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, th this is her about her, and she's like, she's sick of her workaday Hollywood lifestyle, so she turns to nudism, and it's her hanging out in a nudist colony. I mean, it's, All right. it's a nudie movie, what can I say? <laughs> uh, 
next is Superdome. Uh, we're we're pretty close to the actual Super Bowl. It's happening like 12 days from now or something. It'll be much closer when this episode drops. I definitely uh, know when the Super Bowl is. It's it's coming up really soon. I I know that much. It's very soon. It's early February. Uh, but Superdome, it's you know, it's a TV movie from the 70s about the Super Bowl. But there's an assassin killing off members of one of the teams and like oh, no. people in the staff and stuff. And, you know, the, the Super Bowl, the, it's set there at the Superdome in New Orleans. Uh, you know, there are various dramas in, in a TV movie sort of way. <laughs> It'll all resolve in the end. Interesting. Next is Ravage which is uh, the next movie from the same guy who made uh, Sinister, you know, the 90s direct-to-video. This is another direct-to-video movie he made. Cool. Uh, Let me see here. Uh, It's, oh, there's this psychologist who uh, sees this uh, serial murderer uh, kill a bunch of children, and he decides to, like, track him down and get revenge himself and, uh, he, uh, he, he just, he finds all sorts of assassins and he like is hiring the, hiring them to hunt this guy down, I guess. It sounds just like totally fucking bullshit nonsense. The, the sort of thing that you should get in a crazy, uh, show, sh- shot on video, late nineties, uh, exploitation thing. Cool. And last one is erotic nightmare which is the next one in the Made in Hong Kong box from Vinegar Syndrome. Same thing as Demon's Baby. It's Category 3. Uh, right. Weird horror. It's about this guy. He finds a monk who's going to uh, give him really great sex dreams. And he does. He gives him just the fucking greatest sex dreams and he just becomes totally <laughs> addicted to them. <laughs> so, so it's about this guy just being addicted to dreaming about sex. Yeah, and just in in all of these softcore sex dreams that he's having. And then, you know, I I think there's a sinister motive behind it that ultimately starts to consume him in some sort of gruesome and violent way, I would have to imagine. Oh, for sure. You know, as these things go. Uh, Always. (laughs) But we are not picking from the main stacks this week for the last month, last day of the resolution month. We're we're recording this on the 31st. We're uh, going to return to uh some series that we've done before and we've got we've cast a really wide net i've I've done a pick of uh 30 different things that are arguably the next in a set and i've really uh been broad with it there's things that's just a sequel to a movie we've watched before there's things that are the next thing in a box set that we've started some that are the next uh by a director that we've been following yeah, there's a couple that I would just like. There's Dark Star and Fear and Desire, which represent just John Carpenter and uh, Stanley Kubrick. And I would say could pick any movie by either of them that we haven't watched because we sort of just went through their filmographies and did a bunch of each. Yeah, yeah. but So I just represent their in... first film there yeah. for each. Yeah. But yeah, okay. if there's one of theirs you want to do, they're there. All right. Um. Oh, wow, there's so much in here. I actually have to start, like, clicking through to see the time. <gasps> Alligator 2, the mutation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as you recall, kind of the same movie as Alligator, but, like, cheaper and shot on uh, the West Coast instead of the East Coast. Mm. 
Uh, oh, there's some series that ended up getting buried. Um, and you know what I have? I do think it was a mistake to bury the Outlaw Gangster VIP series. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've been wanting to get back to that, but I remember being like, yeah, for whatever reason, I thought I wanted to shuffle it into the stack. Yeah, I, I remember you being not like super hot on it at the time. I I, I liked it a lot, but it, it was very much a style thing more than a substance thing. Yeah, and I think I wasn't ready for that at that time because that was we did that pretty early. This is very early. This is one of the oldest series. Th- these are in chronological order from when we have last touched them. Oh wow! Uh, okay. Uh, so that, like, I did actually go through to arrange them that way. So yeah, uh, Gangster VIP. That's like the first. 10 or 15 episodes, I think. Yeah, I think that might have even been before we started having good sound. Probably, because we had that bad recording platform where we just had all of the audio dropouts, which unfortunately recurred a little bit last week. Uh, hopefully not going to be an issue this week. I don't think we've had any I don't think it will. troubles this time. Uh, now, after the curfew, what is that series from? That is from the World Cinema Project box with Lucia. It's the next one in that set. Okay, so let's see what this is. Uh, Hero of Revolution returns to civilian life to find the new society very different from the ideals he fought for. As you do as a revolutionary. Right. Sounds a lot like some of the stuff we saw in Lucia. (laughs) Sounds a lot like that. Um, I'm trying to see which... uh, which country this came from? Like, what the revolution was? Uh, oh, I, uh, I cannot remember offhand. Uh, oh, well. I think it's maybe Indonesia. I believe it was oh, okay. Indonesia. Okay. Or something like that. Uh, let's see. Oh, what is Picasso Trigger? Oh, that'll be the next Andy Sidaris. That is the well. next Andy Sidaris, yeah. All right. Uh, so we've got that. Death Curse of Tartu is the That's next. the next uh, William Griffay, who did Sting of Death. Oh, right, right. His, uh, you know, uh, Florida lo-fi silly horror. Uh, we have Black Report, which is the next Black Test Car. Yeah, the, the other one on that disc. Okay. Um, so I don't know if I'm ready to get back into Sartana yet. That's fair. We were both not super hot on the second, or was it the second Sartana? I think so. It was the this second the one. Yeah, um, which was good, but it was very silly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's Yokai War, which Takeshi Miike remakes the best Yokai movie. Right. So there's that. Uh, V.I.Y., is that in the um, folk horror set? It is. It is a Russian folk horror uh, a really wild psychedelic one. Okay. Uh, we have the next Zatoichi, uh, number four. I'm surprised, actually, considering it's like the first episode we ever did, I'm kind of surprised we haven't done more of these. Well, we sort of have. The thing is, we did oh. the first two very dis- different, uh, distant from one another, but the thing is, we also did the remake and we did the american remake with rutger hauer blind fury right so we so we've done really like done variations five. yeah yeah uh, snake of june i see is the next uh, sukamoto yeah uh we've got halloween 2 and friday the 13th part 2 but 
I actually think I want to stay away from horror for one week, maybe. Fair, fair. It's it's going to come back. It's it's there a lot. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, it's in the DNA. It, yeah, exactly. Uh, what's that? Star Trek 3. Now, this was this was an okay one, wasn't it? It's pretty good. I, it's okay. one I've always liked. It's one of the lesser ones, but the first four or so are generally pretty well liked it's like one in three are the ones that are sort of wild cards but then it's like five is the first one is like that kind of stinks and then seven is like mm, i don't know <laughs> that sort of thing <laughs> yeah uh let's see we've got of course the good the bad the ugly which i do want to do it but i don't want to do it right now i know when i want to yeah. do it <laughs> it's a summer movie mm-hmm. uh, i really still think like if we did the godfather part two we could record that episode tomorrow because that movie is so fresh in my head (laughs) (laughs) well i I wouldn't want to i would want to rewatch yeah uh wow so yeah there are some strong picks in here uh oh there's the al adamson one al adamson we got hitchcock with rope yep oh that was that was hitchcock right that's his one uh that's based on leopold and loeb and it's all one shot. Oh, oh, oh. Also, his first film in color. Uh, he, he really got ambitious. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, oh, heck, let's do that. Let's do Rope. Rope? All right. That's a pretty fucking cool movie. I got Jimmy Stewart. I don't think we've talked about him on here before, but, you know, he's one of the fucking greats. Oh, Is it a horror? crazy kid. It's a sort of a true crime break. True, oh, okay. true, true crime thing, basically. All right, right. Because you know it's uh, uh Leopold and Loeb, uh, yeah. the who killed one oh, of their. Oh, right, cl- right, of course. There's yeah. gonna be, it's gonna be some horror. Yeah, a very interesting movie. The the way he does the one shot thing. I think he was the first one to really do that in a, you know, major film. Interesting. All right. There are cuts, but they're hidden. <laughs> oh, <laughs> lovely. All right. All right. Yeah. Love to dive into more Hitchcock. Cool. All right. So next week, then, we'll be covering Rope and Train Spotting. A couple pretty interesting picks, very distinct from one another. Uh, you know, we got a real peak 90s movie and a really uh, innovative 40s movie. Cool. So, any last thoughts before we close for this week? Um, no, I think. I think we're good. You know, I think Vanessa from Freeway should uh, should meet up with uh, Casey Anthony. I don't <laughs> think they'd be friends. I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, well. Uh, she'll kick her ass. Probably. I mean, she'd kick a lot of people's asses. That's kind of what she does. <laughs> uh, thanks, everyone, so much for listening. Uh, and uh, how's that spooky-looking kid again? <laughs>